Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm going to be really quick up the top here. I'm in Adelaide doing my Fire at Will tour. Uh, five shows to go if you're listening to this today. So five shows left. It is Wednesday, Willosophy Wednesday. Uh, today and I have a brand new episode with Adam Zouar. I really enjoyed this. Uh, like Adam Zouar a lot. I think he's a really talented guy who's created uh, a lot of... Uh, really interesting projects out on his own and mostly sort of, well, in partnership uh, with his partner, but uh, you'll hear more about that on the podcast. Like, uh, I don't, in these intros, I don't like to give too much away. So, you know, like you can listen to it and enjoy it yourself and uh, make up your own mind. But it went to some very unexpected areas, uh, some things that I, I, I had forgotten about uh, that I did not know uh, that were going to come up. It, it almost got a little marin at one stage uh, towards the end. So um, I really enjoyed this episode and thank you to Adam. Uh, I will also be on his podcast, uh, 10 Questions. Uh, we recorded that that day and I still have it on my computer and need to send it to Adam. So uh, it won't happen until at least I do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, enough of me banging on. I just want to do my plugs for my tour. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that, of course, is come and see me do one of my live shows. So I'm currently on my Fire at Will tour around most of Australia, well, at least most of the capital cities, not all of the capital cities. Uh, but uh, I'm currently in Adelaide uh, until the end of this week. And then uh, the next week, I'll be in the Brisbane uh, Comedy Festival at the Brisbane Comedy Festival at the Powerhouse, the Brisbane Powerhouse, uh, doing Fire at Will. There's six shows only in Brisbane, and it's about 75 percent sold out already so if you want to come and see those shows i would recommend uh, getting in quick for that one uh, the first night is a preview night which means it's cheaper but if you've been paying any attention to this intro you've just realized i've done the show for two weeks so i will have done it 14 times in adelaide by then so it's not technically a preview it's just a cheaper show so why not come along on the first night there you go there's my tip thanks for listening to the podcast uh again that applies pretty much everywhere else i'm going uh melbourne we have uh, some preview shows in the first week i think the wednesday and thursday of the first week of the melbourne comedy festival are preview shows and they're cheaper but by then, I will have done the show like uh, 20 times. So, you know, my, you understand how this works. They're just cheaper shows, so come and see them. In Adelaide, they're genuinely previews. So thank you to everybody in Adelaide who came and saw the preview shows and has been coming to see the show. I've probably had the best fun uh, I've ever had here in Adelaide doing the show, to be honest. I've really enjoyed it so far. So, uh uh, yeah, uh, okay, so after so Melbourne for a month, uh, four weeks, Wednesday through Sunday during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, except for April the 7th. Thursday, April the 7th, I will be at the Sydney Opera House. Two shows only. This is it for Sydney. Uh, if you want to see me, you've got to see me on one night. It's not my fault. It's bloody Malcolm Turnbull's fault. I don't know when the election is going to be, and it could be anywhere between July and November. And when you have plans that depend on when the election is, it really just means it fucks up the second half of my year until anybody knows. So basically, one night only, Sydney Opera House. There you go. There's a night to see a show. Yes, it's a Thursday night, but come on. You live in Sydney. You're crazy people. Come out on a Thursday night. Come to the concert hall, the Opera House. Uh, two shows that night. First one's nearly sold out, but the second one, uh, the later show, 9 o'clock. Uh, still plenty of tickets available for that. Justin Hamilton doing support. That's going to be great fun. Then for Melbourne, uh, the rest of the run, there'll be some LA dates in between. And then uh, first week of May, 
is uh, Perth, doing the show uh, over there in Perth. And I think maybe Justin will be coming over for those ones as well. I hope he is. Uh, if he is not, I will grab somebody else who is also fabulous, Becky Lucas, or one of the other people who do support for me. So uh, make sure you go and check out uh, plenty of shows if you are in any of those places where there are festivals on at the moment. And make sure, as always, you support the little people as well. This is my 18th year of coming to the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And if 18 years ago uh, some people hadn't taken a risk on me, I would not have got to do it for so long. So uh, always, you know, start at the bottom and maybe you'll find somebody that you can uh, support for a a really long time and see them grow. And that's always a really fabulous thing. Anyway, I promised I wouldn't bang on too much. So uh, here we go. This is a new episode of Willosophy. If you've never checked out any of my other podcasts, um, I have a couple of more comedy podcasts, although sometimes they verge into Willosophy territory. Uh, One is with my good friend uh, Charlie Clawson. He's called TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P. And that's just pretty much Charlie and I talking nonsense. And then I do another one called FOFOP, F-O-F-O-P, with a bunch of regular sort of guest Charlies. So anyway, there's a whole long story to that. But if you're new to the podcast and you want to check out some other podcasts, uh, they are also available. Uh, FOFOP on iTunes, TOFOP on iTunes, or uh, TOFOP on Omniapp.com. And if you're an AFL footy fan, uh, Charlie and my long-awaited AFL footy podcast is coming. Uh, We have a name. We have theme music. We have recorded a first uh, edition of it uh, as a bit of a trial that we're going to put out. And uh, we are going to record our first TOEFOP via Skype today to see how that goes. So if we can manage to work, make it work over the Skype, uh, you might be hearing some more regular episodes. But anyway, I tried not to bang on. About five minutes. That's not too bad. I, I consider that a short intro. Uh, here's Adam, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. I'll talk to you again soon. Philosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, it's my last day here in LA. It is uh, Friday, February the 12th when we're recording this, although when you will be hearing this will be a few weeks on from that moment. But uh, I, got, I ran into this guy at a cafe the other day. I was standing in line. Uh, at uh, This is the thing about if you find the good places to have coffee in LA, you will also, uh, by the very nature of that, bump into other Australians who have also found the only decent places to get coffee in LA. Uh, so it is uh, a byproduct of that. And I ran to this man in line. And uh, so I've tried to squeeze this in at the last moment, but I'm very glad to have him here. So uh, as is the tradition at the start of the podcast, I'll ask you one simple question that you are able to answer. But here it is. Uh, who are you? I'm Adam Zouar. Uh Writer, actor, producer by necessity, and I make my money doing voiceovers. Okay, <laughs> I like that. That's a pretty good description. And we haven't had that's like that ticks a few boxes that we haven't had before. I'm going to get to okay. the philosophy thing straight away, and then we'll work yeah, backwards. Yeah. Do you have one? I really, for me, I was thinking about this the other day, and that is, uh, it's just hard work because I, I think I. I I was never one of those people that just excelled at school or excelled in in any, even in the industry that we're in. Um, I was a pretty good actor, pretty good writer, but I knew, and I knew that I knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't cutting through in any amazing way. But I knew what I could do. 
probably just as well as anyone else, and that's work. And I really put in the hours, and and uh, I think that's I think that's been you know very important for my development. And if you surround yourself with the right people and and you work hard, I think you can really get the most out of what talent you've got. Uh, it's something that I've, I've thought about a lot. So it, this is a, a good place to start. This I like this is the is the nature of collaboration, the nature mm. of uh, you know teams working on something together. And and I've been thinking about it a little bit recently because of uh, the nature of the debate about inequality and capitalism in our society, mm. <clears throat> and the idea that nobody gets there on their own. Even if you are mm. you know the the richest man in the world with the most successful company, Facebook isn't anything unless people log on to Facebook. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. I mean, you need people. You can't, you know, get your trucks out to, you know, sell your product if, uh, you know, the government didn't build the roads and there isn't, you mm. know, police there to stop, you know, bands of like, you know, pirates grabbing <laughs> your shit or whatever it is. Yeah. But more so than that, like on a micro level in the entertainment world, which I think is something that you touched on straight away, which is this idea that like everybody is there to make something and it mm. takes a lot of people, but it also takes a lot of people who have different skills yeah like and sometimes you know it's important to be a facilitator of somebody else's skill that in mm. itself is yeah a skill so talk to me about let's let's start with where you are now mm. and work backwards because i feel like you know the fact that we're here in la you know yeah. that we ran into each other in la let's let's start with that and talk about that like why are you here what brings you here like where are you at in your life right now i, I think i needed a, a bit of a creative jump start I feel I felt a little bit like I was running around in circles in Australia towards How the end. Old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Forty-four. Yeah, just so turned forty-four. Okay, so I just turned forty-two. We're pretty much yeah. same vintage, same age. So I get that. Like my mm. friend Justin Hamilton got, got a great piece of advice from Richard Feidler. There's your Chinese whispers chain. Yeah, but there we go. That's <laughs> good. I uh, like that. I like that chain. Yeah, uh, but Richard Feidler said to him, he said, uh, "Watch out when your male friends around the forty mark." Because your brain starts to, that's, yeah, it's your midlife crisis thing. It might be a change of career, but he said it also can often manifest itself in, in blokes killing themselves. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. that there is a certain thing of men somewhere between sort of 38 and sort of 45, I think, where your brain starts really kind of. So, what was that for you? You're 44 years old yeah. and you're like, you know, you're doing pretty well back home. You know, you've mm. got a good career going. People know who you are. You know, I'm yeah. sure you have some sort of comfortable life and. And, you know, with the success of some of the programs you've made, at least doors are open to you. So if you've got a good idea, you can have confidence that at some stage you could get it made. Mm. What makes you think LA? Well, it was, the industry was starting to get very small for me. And, and, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I, I mean it was actually getting small. So the people that you were pitching to, you were socialising with. And that's kind of weird. That's weird in itself as well because you – you're having dinner with them on Saturday night and then you're pitching to them on Tuesday and if they don't like your idea, then that's weird. Um, there's also, if you're an actor... And <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't like your spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> I pretended I liked it and I ate it. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so it was... And, and also, you know, auditioning for friends. It was all getting very, very small and and um, I, I was... I felt with my skill set that I achieved everything I could achieve at that moment in 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 time. I think the thing that people like are surprised by. I was talking to an American friend of mine just a couple of days ago, and I just said to her, "I said, how many people do you think live in Australia?" And she was like, 
how big is it? And I said, well, it's about the size of America in, in land mass. Mm. And she goes, I know there's less. Like, you know, she, <laughs> she was under, she was like, she goes, okay, it's 100 million? Wow. I was like, there's 24 million people that live there. Yeah. In the whole country. And that's mm. kids and shit. Yeah. Like, they're not all, you know, going to be watching your telly shows oh. or, you know, have an audience available for what you want to make. That's right. It's a small country in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and if it's a very interesting television setup because you don't have those situations at the moment. Like, you know, you don't have the Netflix or the, or the Amazon really putting much money into Australian comedy. comedy. You know, the, the, um, the Moody Boys have, have got no activity going, which I think is fantastic. And, um, but, there's not much you have to be pretty mainstream in your sensibility to get a to get traction on a comedy in a comedy show in australia and um and i'm talking about uh, upper middle bogan and of course uh here come the habibs you know those kind of comedy shows i think i despite trying to be by the way the tagline for the uh (laughs) tv series here come the habibs should be it's better than it looks in the promos <laughs> from everything I've read, like every single thing I've read about that went, went, look, the first thing you got to know is it is better than it looked in the promos. It feels like one of those cases oh. where the promos have done that show untold <laughs> damage. I'd love to have heard the conversation between the producers and the promo department. That would have been like, what have you done? I mean, I feel like the fact that they let those guys, the guys who made Here Come the Habibs, like, because here's the thing, that's not, you know, my voice. We were having a quick little conversation about being white guys. <laughs> and not in a, oh, not in a yay, we're white guys, high five for <laughs> each other and going, still winning, guys. Uh, but just about the nature of, like, you know, that sort of thing and, and you know, cultural voices on television and all mm. those sort of things. Even on this podcast, you know, I, I like, I am co- constantly aware of, like, you know, the fact that I want to have, a, like, an, a representation of voices from all different sort yeah. of walks of life and whatever. Um, but uh, it's not my humour, that sort of stuff. It never has been. It wasn't mm. when they were doing Wogs Out of Work no. or Acropolis <laughs> Now or, no, like, you no. know, Kingswood Country or whatever. Yeah, Will's really getting into Acropolis Now. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just, like, binged on Acropolis Now. <laughs> I always see you and Nick Giannopoulos just hanging out, you know. <laughs> Mate, I did hang out with Nick Giannopoulos once. You're kidding. I'll tell, oh, yeah, I'll, right. no, let, well, I'll tell you the story. Here no, we please. Because this can go all over the place. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. We have nowhere particularly we need to get to, so <laughs> no, this no. is fine. I love Nick Giannopoulos stories. A Nick Giannopoulos anecdote. An opportunity to drop a Nick G anecdote <laughs> does not come along that often. <laughs> That's right. I love so it. So let's have one. Plus, I, I always say with this podcast that I should only have people on who I have a connection with in some way because it explores my life more further. Yeah, yeah. So now this is an opportunity to get Nick Giannopoulos <laughs> on the podcast. But uh, I was at a bar called... Uh, it always at a bar. The Soho House. Soho, the oh, here. Soho House here in LA, just yeah, down the road from right. here. Very fancy sort of, uh, you know, exclusive club. You need to, you know, know someone who's a member to sign you in or something like that. And I'm there for... Uh, for a birthday party or a farewell drink, so you know, some sort of just, but it's only a few of us, that sort of thing. But it's a pretty glamorous night there at the bar. Like Chris Hemsworth is there yeah. and he is way down the pecking order All of right. celebrities in that room that night. Wow. Like okay. Sophie Vergara okay. is there, Angelina Jolie, 
drop by later on um, at the table next to us. Uh, three of the most, well, two people who you were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then a third person where you're like, oh, that's a curveball. <laughs> kind of like, you know, if you saw at a table Bruno Mars, Beyonce and Chris Martin from Coldplay. Like yeah. it, it was a similar sort of vibe. It was uh, Tim Robbins, uh, right. the actor. Yeah. Uh, Sean Penn, yeah. the El Chapo interviewing journalist. <laughs> and uh, David Spade. Okay. Joe okay. Dirt. Joe Dirt. Wow. Joe Dirt so, was making up uh, that trio. That is a punchline. I mean, that was a twist you didn't weren't expecting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like, right. Oh, look over there. It's uh, Richard Dawkins. Uh, it's Stephen Moffat. And it's Rob Schneider. <laughs> Just sitting there. So anyway, we're, we're in this bar, like, you know, surrounded by celebrities. And I turn around, and who do I see but fucking Nikki G? Oh my holding god! Court, holding court, really? Yeah, holding court. Wherever there's a party, there's Nikki G. You know, he was in that room, and he believed himself to be. And I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but I just mean in the way that Nick always carries himself, which yeah. is like, yeah, which has always been the secret of his success in a lot of ways. He's yeah. got, I mean, talking about people who who got things done. This is a guy who got tours up, who got movies Unbelievable. up when there would yeah. have been nobody, yeah, yeah. like you know, behind him or encouraging. And he's him. still angry about having to do all that work too. By the way, right. and it's still the fact that he needs <laughs> to still do that work. You know, to be the certain extent, as right. I am, you put in the you put in the hard yards, and you really put in the hard yards. And I right. respect anyone who gets TV up in Australia. Yeah, it is a hard job, and to actually follow it through and everything. But he has worked bloody hard, that guy, and then he he sits back. Like we all do at occasion, go, come on, industry, give me something yeah. now. When do I get my bit back? That's it. And, he and never what has. you realise is that you don't know, don't. I don't think. Do you think? No, I mean, I've, I've, I think unless in rare air and maybe mm. in the olden days, like where you could be like a network star and they'd look after you and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Daryl Summers would still go into Channel 9 to get his hair cut <laughs> even when they weren't doing Hey Hey Saturday, you know. Yeah. I think there yeah. were those times without a doubt, but. Man, in the 20 years I've been in the industry and in the 18 I've been around the media, mm. like, I, don't, I didn't see a lot of those times. Like, I mean, I, I bet there's still some, like, for some people. I reckon Rebecca but, Gibney. I reckon Rebecca Gibney's still looked after by Channel 7. Alf Stewart from Home and Away, Alf Ray Stewart, Mar. That's it. Ray Mar's still yeah. looked after. I mean, he's a network guy. Network there's a guy. few. The, Eddie Maguire's still looked after by Channel 9. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm desperately trying to think. So Lisa McCune, she's kind of now, she's now freelance, you know, yeah. in a way. She's just a working actor these days. Um, and it's yeah. It, no one gets looked after. I mean, Carl Stefanovic. I guess if you're in that news sense, but other other than that, Australia is like an outlaw society where where it really is. You, you get these people like you know self made people, which is what I love in Australia. You know, you get the Brendan Cowles who just force their way up, right. and and I mean whether you like him or, or dislike him or you know, and it, it's it's really. It really is an arm wrestle to get stuff on up there. It's, it's really it's survival of the fittest and the hardest working in many ways. I mean, and Robin and Wayne, they work bloody hard. Um, it, look, it's an interesting thing you say about the nature of hard work and the nature of reward. Like, because I do think that if you think that at some stage, you know, it is going to get easier. Like, you think that, like, I mean, you do yeah. labor under that delusion for <laughs> a very do. long time. You do. That at some stage, yeah. I'll be able to take the fucking foot off the pedal and cruise on. But I realise that I'm just going to have to work hard and then I'll die. You're up like, to your 22nd show. I, I mean, mean, I don't have any super. Like, no. I, fucking, I, free, <laughs> I work for myself. I tell jokes to pay my fucking mortgage. Like, seriously, I've got no plans. 
and I'm too old to change direction. But no, I, yeah, but, me too. But you've got to, it's hard work. It's yeah. such a no one's really talked about it on the podcast so far. Although I think every single person who has been on the podcast is probably someone who like probably underplays the amount of what of it course, is that they have Australian. achieved that comes down to just hard work. It's Australian to do, and also it, it, well, it's not just Australian. It, it's it's. Um, because then it looks like a little bit less talented if you say you work really hard. And um, well, my dad said to me, and which I think is my dad is a man of few words, but when he he's says, a farmer, isn't he? Yeah, and when he says the words, they said like a farmer will say those words without moving his lips. <laughs> but he said he occasionally just says like these things that are so kind of insightful. And he said to me once, he goes, "I've never seen someone work so hard to not have to work." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, yeah, I guess that is it, right?" <laughs> yep. Like you yeah. know, I'm, yeah. I'm willing to do much That's... more work than anyone else would do, so so that I can do it from home and be my own boss and yeah. do all those same things. You know, I could go and get someone to pay me to be on the radio and work at like a job and earn ten times the money I earn. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. But I'd rather just not have to do that. <laughs> I know, I know, and I'm sure you get those offers. I'm sure Kevin rings you up and says, "Eh, this has happened." Um, yeah, I, I I completely agree. And but those people that you've had on your podcast yeah. and and the people and I've I've got to say, I probably have met most of them, um, or and worked with quite a few, and and you get you get into the deep conversation, and you realise that they fucking work hard. They really work hard. I worked with this guy recently on a on a project. He's young and emerging, <laughs> which is the which is uh, you know just such weird words. You know, young and emerging it frightens me. Um, and uh, he told me, he's a great writer, really good performer. He told me that before he writes every day, he reads an episode of Frasier. And I think, fucking good on him. And it's really, it's because that, it seeps in, it seeps in how to actually structure a half hour. Uh, it, it seeps in how to, how to write the perfect joke. I mean, those guys really, really wrote and rewrote. I mean, they are really excellent scripts. And I think, well, that's good. That's really, it, it's it's a good warm up because writing does require a warm up. Um, I, you know, um, some people write write in their journal just to get just to get the mind pumping before they start writing, or or you know, read something that's by a really great writer. And I think th- those things are great. And I and I and I think, oh, that's good. That's really good. I got to remember that to actually, you know, warm up. Not just right from standing start, which I do so often. Uh, it's interesting, though. I mean, jo- here's, here's a name drop for the podcast, but here we go. Uh, John Cleese said to me, uh, oh, wow. yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, oh, okay. I'm going to tell you a story that I probably shouldn't be telling yet. But <laughs> Please. It's a story that the minute I got told it, I was like, I should, I, I want to tell this story, but I, I felt like there needed to be some space in the process before I told this story. <laughs> so firstly, I'll give you the, the quick pricey, which is um, uh, I interviewed John Cleese at, a, at the Montreal Just for Last Festival and he, I was talking, talking to him about comedy. It was for a, that Channel 10 TV show they make about that yeah, festival, that's right? right? Yeah. And uh, I was talking to him about uh, comedy writing and he said the best thing to do, and it was such a good insight into stand-up for a guy who wasn't a stand-up. He said, if you like a routine, like, you know, you like a Louis C.K. bit or you like a Sarah Silverman piece or you really, you know, think that the Jim Jeffries gun routine is a perfect comedy routine, which I mm. would put forward that it is pretty yeah, close to pretty that. Good. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. when I want to, like, 
get re-inspired like this person watching Frasier, you mm, know, like yeah. I, I will visit that routine and go, what are you doing that, you know, explains something or is as funny and as confronting and <laughs> as like well thought out as, as this piece of comedy, yeah. you know, this is what comedy can be. Yeah. Why, why isn't your comedy like this and that doesn't mean that i'll go away and like you know do a bit about guns that is like jim's a bit about guns in fact <laughs> no, that no, would no. be the worst thing to do yeah yeah you know but why why you know the way that he looked at this issue why can't you look at this issue in a way that is individual to you or mm. why can't you go away and take another issue and look at it kind of you know in this way um he said this he said uh if you like a piece Watch it, watch it, watch it over and over again. Watch Eddie Izzard in the Death Star Canteen or mm. watch George Carlin, you know, doing the seven words you can't say on television yeah. or whatever it is that, you you know, this perfect yeah. piece of comedy is. And yeah. watch it and learn it by heart. And he said, then go away and write it down from memory because what you will do is you will see the, the piece fully conceived, Right. You see what it looks like there. Now go away and then write it down and you'll see what that performer did with the way that they structured that routine that you've actually seen as a complete piece. So rather than That's thinking brilliant. rather than thinking of comedy as like that sort of thing of going, yeah, you can like, I mean, people have comedy courses and stuff and there's definitely things, techniques and stuff mm. that you can learn and use. There is. Yeah. I mean, I there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But like it's the combination of them and the way that you use them together. I think if you just start with structure and start start with idea and then try to put your ideas into it, what you actually really need to do is you need to know how Frazier did it and you need to know yeah. how blah, blah, blah did yeah. it and you need to know all these things. But then you have to attack your thing, taking all that structure and taking all those like things that you know, but also going – I have a story to tell. What is the best way for me to tell this story? That's, that's such brilliant advice. And it's something that I, I did because my dad introduced me to um, – he introduced me to Bob Newhart. Uh, he introduced me to a comedian uh, called Shelley Berman, or a monologist really, called Shelley Berman, um, who plays Larry David's father in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he also uh, introduced me to Barry Humphrey's A Nice, Night, nice Night's Entertainment. And I did – write all those things down and I did perform them at a very early age my parents at dinner parties used to get me to get me to perform these uh-huh. little, these monologues you know for their guests adorable just before adorable how, before old, I did how old would you be there was a uh, there was a monologue that Shelley Berman did called the morning after the night before which is a quite a famous monologue in in the in the late 50s 60s it's about a guy waking up with a hangover and ringing up his mate to find out what he did the night before and of course I was 10 years old learnt this piece off by heart, wrote it down, learnt it off by heart, kept listening to the tape, listened to the beats, listened to the beats where he actually paused for, for timing purposes and and then would replicate that for the parents. Had no real idea or for the dinner guests. I had no idea why it was funny. But of course, because I never had a hangover, um, but of course the juxtaposition of this 10-year-old kid doing a monologue about a hangover was hilarious to the parents and I would often do it at, at, at dinner parties but the thing what it taught me was it it, it taught me time i mean it really did reinstate timing in my brain it, it you know comedy beats um and uh and i think i learned more from that than anything else so that that's why the clee story resonates with me so uh that's not the story that i have not told obviously that's just the all oh, right because i think it's pretty it's just you know, clee would be very happy with that story yeah that's just a nice story <laughs> 
Um, uh, for years, we used the John Cleese quote on one of my posters because he hosted this Just for Laughs gala I did. And uh, in the press afterwards, I think he was doing a show in Perth or whatever, and they were asking him about who was good. And I bet, I bet this is how it happened. I bet I was the only Australian comedian that he knew the name of because, like, you know, because <laughs> I had done this show with him. But he gave me a very nice rap, so he used that quote for lo- quite a long time. But anyway, what was the quote? Uh, Come on! No, I, you know what? I don't know enough by Say heart. It in but French. if anybody, if anybody's seen any of my posters for years, it was on at least a couple okay, of yeah, them. Yeah, Google so, image Will's yeah, posters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but they're doing a Faulty Towers touring stage show. In Australia, like so, like they're doing like a stadium, like Faulty Towers show with like an Australian with Australian acts coming up, coming up. Wow! And uh, I got a call the other day oh, saying, wow. "Hey, would you like to be uh, Basil Faulty oh, in the God. stadium Faulty Towers tour?" <laughs> and you said, oh, "I didn't even bother." Like I mean, like literally, my agent rang me to say, "Hey, here's something we've turned down." Like, <laughs> You know, with uh, firstly with my hips, like I have osteoarthritis in my hips. I I couldn't do the walk, let alone do the walk. I can't act. I've never acted. (laughs) Like I can't play. My first, I've never acted. And if I were to act, my first uh, acting job would not try to be to replicate the greatest physical comedian, perhaps of all time, in a fucking stadium tour. But despite all that, my fucking hips. Like I would need a stunt double to do all the fucking the, walks and shit for the Germans episode. Or they'd need hydraulics. Oh. They'd need a set of hydraulics, like like Which is pink, very funny in like itself. pink needs at her fucking concerts, like that she oh. normally uses the fly over the audience. They'd need <laughs> they'd need those eight guys on pulleys. Anyway, so uh, oh, so man. you. You what you were influenced <laughs> by those things when you were young, yeah. But you didn't start as a comedian, right? Where'd you go to school? Where, where re- are you from? It's What's really your- interesting. I, yeah, well, I, I I grew up in Cairns. My parents arrived in Cairns in seventy one, and I was born in seventy two. They bought a house off Leo McKern. If you remember Leo McKern, who's Rumpel of the Bailey, um, he was also in Blue Lagoon. He was the old guy in Blue Lagoon, and um, he lived in Cairns. But his daughter was busted smoking marijuana. Uh, at school, bringing marijuana to school, and he marijuana. he wanted marijuana. He wanted to get her away from yeah from marijuana. <laughs> he wanted to get away from the marijuana. Kansas so marijuana. He thought I better take her to space because yeah. that's the only place <laughs> that there isn't marijuana. He went back. It, it, it turned out to be a wise decision for Leo to, to go back to London anyway, get his career back on track. Um, and uh, then, so I went to school in Kansas, and I was. Um, shunted off to boarding school at 13 and that was i went to a boarding school that's been um talked about uh quite a lot recently with the high commission into pedophilia um so there was a bit of a black cloud over the school at the time and and a lot of the teachers of that period were you aware of that sort of shit going yeah, on when yeah. you were there there was a guy called skippy lynch who was but we had a different opinion of it back then okay so this is how it was received so Skippy Lynch was the student counsellor. His name's Skippy because he had polio as a kid and he, and he limped. And because and in Australia, we're great people when it comes to nicknames. <laughs> especially kids, especially in all boys' school. Oh. And, um, and so Skippy obviously would, um, would – what would happen is boys would go and see Skippy and, and then they'd return back to the boarding house. So they went with a problem or something. 
And uh, one boy would say to the other, uh, did you go see Skippy? Yeah. Did he put his hand down, put his hand down your pants and cup your balls? Yeah. Uh, did he say it was because it would relax you? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> did it relax you? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, it was like that was there were the conversations yeah, that happened. Right. It's, it's like Reiki, I guess. It's like it's just it's like, rapey. Right. It's a new, <laughs> it's a new one. It's not Reiki. It's rapey. It's rapey. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> so close. That's, that's it is. It is a line that you have crossed, unfortunately, <laughs> it's a, sir. It's a variety of Reiki. Yeah. Basically, as soon as you're in the pants, you've gone from Reiki to rapey. That is the that's the line right there. <laughs> Mate, you got to use that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Skippy, before he just went, before he was about to go to trial, um, 10 years later, um, there's a guy called, um, Michael Ware, who's, who's come to prominence recently by doing this amazing documentary about being, um, an embedded journalist in Afghanistan and nearly having his head cut off by the Taliban. Uh, he went into journalism after school and he exposed Skippy. Uh, in the, he worked for the Courier Mail. He exposed Skippy and uh, Skippy was about to stand trial and committed suicide just a few days before the trial. And now in the High Commission that, that's going on, Skippy's mentioned quite a lot. And the headmaster at the time, who was there for 25 years and was a legend of the school, he often walked in on Skippy um, fiddling with boys and I never did anything about it. And so he's in disgrace as well. And his name's been taken off. Well, you know, it was the, the Max Howe gym and that, that's been taken off the gym. So that was my school. And it was a bit of a black cloud. And it wasn't, I, I remember being miserable at the time. And I think a lot of other people were miserable at the time. There. And do you remember your school years as being miserable in general? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I felt it was very bleak. It was very bleak being in that boarding house. And it was pretty draconian. Why? What was the bleak? What What was the kind of root cause of the bleakness? I mean, obviously, other than the stuff we've already talked about, like what? what yeah. yeah. What else? Like, kind of contributed to that? Well, know? there was a lot of um, there was a lot of bullying that went on. Um, not, I wasn't sought out individually for the bullying, but a lot of bullying went on, and there was a lot of. Um, say one kid had a messy area in the boarding house. That means that at 10 o'clock, we'd all have what was called full uniform, which you'd get up in front of you. You'd have to clean your space, get up in front of your bed in full uniform at 10 o'clock at night, and the prefects would go around and just beat the shit out of you one by one. And they used to give you what was called an MP, which is holding the elbow like that and banging it just into the into the spot in your shoulder which would give you a dead shoulder i don't know why it was called an mp maybe it was called that because it was called much for, for much pain and or just just beat the shit out of you i mean it was quite brutal and the 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 um housemaster was a guy called ron cochran who was former golden gloves of rockhampton and my memories of him was he was this massive massive man he was Quite brutal, and, and he he did allow these things to go on in the boarding house. But sometimes he would come down and and uh, and then just he was an enforcer. Um, so it was pretty bleak. Uh, it's amazing to me how yeah. quickly or how 
early, like we are allowed to install those rule of the jungle things. Like, yeah. I mean, yes, of course, there's going to be natural like levels of those sort of things, mm. you know, throughout people growing up and, you know, the nature of trying to form groups and, you know, define yourself in a group by, you know, being opposed to something else. I mean, it's a bit much a part of nature, like, mm. you know, and I'm sure that over the years, like, you know, even the most, you know, unless you were the person who was the ultimate person being bullied yeah. at some stage, even like the person who got second most bullied probably bullied the person who got bullied the yeah, most man. you know what i mean because there's yeah. a pecking order and a chain and yeah. you need to have some power in that situation and i think we all probably have things from our you know childhood that you know we regret both in situations where we were the victim of bullying but also in the reverse you didn't where, do like, anything you didn't you didn't speak out when some kid was getting right. smashed you know and i wasn't a fisty person but yeah. like the nature of how i use my mouth and like whatever you know like i could definitely yeah. you know you look. You look after yourself, and you're funny. And the right. word, and funny is much, much better than punching someone. It actually hurts more. If right. you're, um, you can say some terrible things. We used to have. I remember in my house, although it got when I was like uh, ended up being in charge of like our house at school. You know, they, they had yeah. like, ha- separated into houses for like sports and you know drama and those sort of events. Um, I was captain of our house for the last couple of years of high school, you know, um, which was unusual. I got elected a little early, but mostly mostly because we had all these old traditions that I was not really fond of. And I had taken over the drama thing the year before, like, and just kind of like, no one really wanted it. So I just kind of like as a year 10, I guess, just gone, I'm going to be in charge of this and we'd won it. And then so like when it came around to vote for the next year, people were like, well, you can be in charge. And we used to have these things like bashings because you get points off your house for people getting detentions and shit yeah so you get this list like the you know they they would give you a list and they would kind of then let you go to these meetings like these and then like bash these like kids yeah and i just remember like the first one that under my reign you know that ever happened because it was just the thing that always happened yeah and i realized and and i'd never bash the kids but i'd never like I'd never really even kind of like put myself into, I just was glad I wasn't the person being bashed. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is how it works. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But once I was in charge and then the first time it had kind of happened under my watch, I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we never did it again. And I'm very That's happy good. to say that we never did it again. And that was some, like probably the proudest thing. Like, even though we won like the house championship, both those years I was in charge, yeah. the proudest thing I ever did. Well, the two proudest things I did was one that I, uh, that I, we got rid of that. And yeah. the other thing was that when they offered me to be a prefect, I said no, because very much at our school as well, once you were a prefect, you weren't on the side of like, you know, I liked at our house that I, I kind of always felt like the attitude that I had to it was like, you know, the best, if, we, if we're going to win this thing, we need to win everything and everyone needs to kind of be on board with this idea. That's great. And That's great that you had that I didn't want to go of... over to the fucking man. No, you know? yeah, it was great they had that vision, man. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I would have happily taken the prefectship if it was offered. But there was, there was another thing in, this, in the sporting house which was, which was interesting and that was um, there was wanking police. Hang on, what? There was wanking police. Okay, here we go. So... So there was these guys, self-appointed, who would, <laughs> yeah, of course, who would put because you got a row of cubicles, and yeah. they were so you're sitting on the toilet doing a shit, and right. a head would pop up over the cubicle just to say, just checking to see if you're wanking. And if you're wanking, if you're caught wanking at the school, it was the end of your career. Yeah. Seriously, you were outcast in such a savage way. I had a, I mean, a, a dear friend who was busted which, wanking, which, by the way. Like in, in <laughs> retrospect, oh, no. 
Insane. Like insane. Mm. You mean, oh, yeah, you're mocked because you've discovered yeah. this awesome thing that <laughs> That's every it. single person is going to discover like very, very <laughs> oh, soon. Yeah. The like, shame, the shame of it was extraordinary. It's right. like, you know, equivalent to being, you know, Media shamed for now, right. and uh, it was literally the end of your career. And you, and you, there, there was this guy. I remember a mate of mine. These was, days, footballers can send like photos of themselves wanking like to women, oh, and they yeah. won't miss around a footy. No. But back then, no, it was the end. <laughs> Did I just say we were the last of the dinosaurs? This was a fucking strange school. Yeah, anyway, right. I mean, the, the the a lot of other shit happened, which I, yeah. which I won't bore people with. But I recently was invited back. Uh, Max, Max Howe left the year I left. He was the he was the uh, the uh, principal, and things changed immediately the next uh, year. All of the kind of um, all that kind of all the cane was put in a it was put in a um, a cabinet, a glass cabinet. Um, <laughs> as, that, a, as a reminder, of, that's yeah of of of, of right. deeds of deeds done, right. and it was probably on my ass. You know, the last time. Um, so basically, that's, that's literally like going into the White House, and they're like, oh, "That's the board that we waterboard people yeah, with." That, that's it. One time, I just whack right. that in a little. Uh... That's right. <laughs> um, there's uh, Dick Cheney's air rifle. Um, yeah. So, um, so I went back there to give a give the Foundation Day speech, and um, and Ron Cochran, the big enforcer, he met me at the airport, and now he's a a very Really nice, gentle, humble, sixty-four-year-old guy, right. and he literally picked me up at the gate. And I've got to say, I wasn't looking forward to seeing him, and there he was, you know. And he, he was lovely. The um, there was a lot of racism at the school. If there was, there was a, probably a couple of Asian kids, and they were bullied, and it was it was terrible. Now the whole cricket team, which they pride themselves on, is Indian, right? And um and there's a happiness in the school and the kids are really good and really really happy and really you know happy to be there and um I gave my speech and there wasn't any um clapping and I just, I went oh, okay maybe I've offended some people and there was this slow kind of thunderous stamping of the feet by fifteen hundred kids. And it really grew to a crescendo, and it was almost frightening to, to hear it. And the headmaster came up and he said, "That means they liked you." And so, for me, going back, they should give you a trigger warning. About that, <laughs> That's exactly. It was a really healing process. What was the topic of his speech? Because um, oh, two things on that. Because he would yeah. have been. So, how long was it since you'd been there? Probably twenty five years. Not quite. Yeah. 20. So eighty nine. I, yeah. I, I, I left. So it was last year. So mm. this guy, this big hulking guy you remember, yeah. would have been younger yeah. or He's about the age. same age. Just, our yeah, age. Younger, yeah. Younger. Yeah. Like when he was this guy to you, but when he's picking you up at the airport, you know, you're the age he was right. older than he was then, which yeah. is uh, also a sort of thing to remember about those people is you're like, you know, even now, I mean, you know, mm. the thing you know when you get into your 40s is that you resign to the fact that you're just going to fuck shit up. Like yeah. you're like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, how arrogant when I was young and I thought I was actually going to nail shit. Yeah, oh, I am just a funny, fucking stumble from one mistake to another. <laughs> do, do you know? Do you see this in the industry? Just to slightly change the topic, but do you yeah. see this in the industry? There's this thing that 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 happens when someone's just about to get a show up or just about to kind of um, launch their career on television, and and all of them think. And I think you have to think this. They all think, yeah, Australian television shit, but it's okay. I'm here, right. 
I'm here. I'm here. I'll fix it. It's gonna. Everything's all right. Here we go, guys. And it's and it's the thing. And then you you realize that the impact you have is minimal, and and your career goes for a while. Your career goes up, and then it goes down again. I've seen a lot of people kind of uh, come chest out. <laughs> I've got this. Then the career goes down. They come back so humble the next time. It's like the showbiz kind of merry-go-round. Well, the interesting thing about uh, you know my career is that it's been nothing but upward trip. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, that's no. Right. the graph is. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand what you're talking about. No, um, no. I mean, even like with the success of some of the things that I've had, they only mm. really carve you out a niche to be able to have an opportunity to do more of that. Pretty much in the space where I do it. Like mm. I can't imagine getting to make anything that I've made or anything that I would want to make going forward at anywhere but the ABC. Or maybe if in the future, you know, there is an online sort of opportunity. But yeah, yeah. the style of stuff that I make, you know, there isn't a home for it at at any of the big commercial networks. I don't think. And but, but, so you have a niche, like even that, even in that, like you know, what I mean, like yeah. there's not. Even if it's gone well, even if externally people would be like, well, this has clearly been a success, it doesn't open the doors that people think it would necessarily <laughs> open. But it's certainly yeah. not to do the stuff you... You're right. I mean, don't get me wrong. It opened a lot of doors to do a heap of shit I wouldn't do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't open the door to go, you know, hey, you can keep doing what you want to do, but just do it over here for five times as much money. Like, it doesn't work like that. Well, it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting with Gruen. And what what's interesting about your career too is um, is I think personally I, I don't want to embarrass you but but I think you're the best host in Australia but you don't actually that's not really kind of what you want to do <laughs> and it's this kind of uh, it's this it's funny it's this funny dichotomy where you go you go <laughs> well yeah I'll do it. Um, and you're great at it, and people fucking love you. But really, yeah, it's not kind of what you want to do. So you would. So I after mean, the grown, it would have well, been a lot of. It's very nice of you to say that. Firstly, I mean, I would say whatever I do bring to the table as a host, and there are. I, I would say if you need a host, host, there are a, 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 a heap of other people who uh, would do a better job than me. But uh, I think that what I hope you're recognising, or what at least mm. I aim to do, I think the fact that it isn't what I want to do gives me a way of hosting a show that mm. other people who do want to do it don't have. Exactly right. And that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I believe that the thing that you're responding to is actually as a result of the, the other thing that you said. It's freedom. The fact that I don't really care. Yeah. Like my attitude is very simple. I will go to that thing. If I choose to do something, I will go to it and I'll give it the best fucking shot. Like I've never <laughs> phoned one in. I've never not tried. Like no, I mean, no. you know, like. You know, I tried a really hard to do a good job. But at the end of the day, I'm going to host it how I fuck, like, like I don't give a shit. And yeah. that's kind of, I do think that that is a little different to how some I, other people host I completely this, agree. It's something that I, I recognized very early in the piece. And that was when it came to hosting. Okay. You, you, and we're not talking about uh, that. I'm going to mention the words Doug Mulray here. And, and I'm not talking about. Doug's piece where he did the, the, the sex videos. I'm talking about his actually his Tonight Show, which lasted for about three episodes, and he had an, an Indian guy who's the sidekick and who's sitting at the bar. And the, through the first break, Doug was sweating buckets. It was broadcast news style. Uh-huh. I mean, he desperately wanted this to work, and you got that sense. And when Frankie J. Holden hosted in Melbourne Tonight, desperately wanted to make it work. When Visard hosted Tonight Live, he was a he was a rich fucking lawyer. Right. He didn't. 
he didn't care if this worked or not. And there was that freedom that he had, and it was very successful. He got, you know, he he didn't need to be there. If and I, I find that quite interesting. If I was going to use uh, kind of that insight in my own life, the thing that I would say is I probably had the opposite thing with. I had to learn how to do that with my stand-up because my stand-up is so important to mm-hmm. me. I think the thing that held me back in that, that kind of the first decade, you know, you know, at least in a creative sense, how I felt held back was that idea of that I did care about it so much yeah, and I yeah. did want it so much and I did, you know, want this to, you know, work out and be the thing that I could do with my life that I had to learn how to kind of take a bit of that, like, you know, not give a shit to stage because mm-hmm. as you know from watching performers is – like if someone wants it too much, people yeah. like people just have this sense. I know. People can tell, you know, and yeah. it just they can be doing the best fucking job. Yeah. But there's just that thing. Like you see it sometimes with performers and you, you like some people are like, why doesn't this work? Their jokes are great. They're hmm. really friendly. I'm like, they want it too much. Yeah. And you yeah. just can't Oh, there's so many examples of that. Yeah, it, it it it's so true. And I I it's like um what they used to say if you you know when you were single, the the thing was you had to pretend that you had a girlfriend. Like you actually had to try and trick right. yourself into thinking that you had a girlfriend because then you would be attractive to the opposite sex, which never worked. You're only ever attracted to the opposite sex when you had a girlfriend. You know, right. it's it's uh, um, it, it's yeah. A, a it turns, it turns out an imaginary girlfriend. Yeah, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't cut it. Aren't you meant to have a girlfriend in Canada? That's yeah, the. That's right. I've got a girlfriend in Canada. Were you? So but, was this an all male boarding school? It was an all male boarding school. Um, and it was a very successful school. It, it was but great. How did that mean with? Because uh, the reason I mentioned that and went back to that was you, we were talking about you know relationships. Uh, yeah. And, you know the opposite sex. What was your experience of the opposite sex when you're at when you're at high school? Really limited. I mean. Limited to a few socials. Um, I had a girlfriend for a while, um, I, who I would go and see on borders weekends, but that lasted. I can't remember, maybe a few months. Um, but it. But what happened was there were what the way it worked was the the, the kids, especially from the day school, who who did well with the girls, were always really arrogant, cocky, conf- super confident guys. So what I w- tried to do was model myself on them, which became hilarious. And so when I went to uni, I, I, I made a decision which was quite wise. I decided not to go to UQ. I decided to go to USQ, which is in Toowoomba. And because the reason why I didn't want to go to UQ is I wanted to get away from that whole kind of inner city Brisbane uh, private school boy kind of uh, thing where the boys still wear their jerseys right. to lectures and stuff like that. You yeah, know, I wanted to get the network. Yeah, the network. I wanted the to get network that will then exist forever throughout that it's like true. city and community, and everyone yeah. will be part of the same clubs, and they'll all sit on boards together, and everyone, yeah. you know, will have a mate who does whatever. That's how cities work. I mean, That's Melbourne. Right. Oh is yeah, like crazy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and they always they will go, Zawari, he wasn't that funny at school. Anyway, right. um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck's he doing comedy um, yeah. yeah so I went to Toowoomba And I'd carried this bullshit This cocky bullshit around with me for a while But I made this girl 
a lot of girlfriends, and they said, Adam, you've got to lose that. Right. Two, two lessons. Don't wear stripes with stripes and lose this fucking attitude. Okay. And I lo- lost, and I did both. And so I made a lot of girlfriends, so it took me a while, to, which actually stripped away all the bullshit, and uh, I think it was the best thing for me. Yeah, so you had a bit of a like a, an intense initiation. Yeah, yeah. They would go, what are you doing? You had a little boot camp. <laughs> You you essentially went on your own version of Beauty and the Geek, <laughs> that, yeah, except exactly. the opposite. You yeah. were, they turned you from the beauty into the actually the lovable geek. Yeah, that's right. Just just strip all that away, and I mean, I can't even imagine what what me being, you know, chest out cocky would have looked like. That would have been funny. Um, you seem to be a guy who uh, thinks about love relationships those sort of things like mm. you know some of your programs have certainly like you know concentrated oh, yeah, yeah, around yeah. those ideas uh is there a fascination like how like you know what sort of you know when you look at life where do you feel that like you know romance love family you know those sort of issues mm. come into it um I, I think it's very important to have uh, human affection um and i um, was very unsuccessful in relationships until I met Amanda, uh, who's my wife. I met her at the Secular Film Festival in 2002, and um, we've been together since. Do you, do you remember how you met? Yeah, so, uh, we'd made Wilfred, and Wilfred was in the festival, and it didn't win Best Comedy, and she came up to tell me that uh, it should have won Best Comedy. And you were like, we should get married. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I reckon I reckon it wasn't far off. I, I bought her a drink straight away, and um, yeah. So, but it, it was funny because it turned out that I'd I'd interviewed her before because I, I uh, as you know, I, I worked for the Herald Sun for many years, and I um I I don't remember who I interviewed because I interviewed three people a day, and and yeah, so I interviewed. We went through the library, and I turned out I'd interviewed her once. Because um, she's a filmmaker and she made a film that won an AFI award and um, and so yeah we we got together and, and you know I mean she's a long term meditator and and she's very calming and and um, and and uh, uh, tolerant with me and I and I've and I think I've probably needed that in my life and and so that was that was very important you know and. Um, yeah, so I've not what talked do about this. Yeah. Uh, that's a very nice thing to say about, like, and it gives me an insight into what she gives to you, and I'm sure there's mm. a million other things as well. Yeah, but, yeah. But rather than ask you that, can I ask you this? What What is it that you give to her the most, do you think? Like, you know, <laughs> Grief. Right. No, I mean, <laughs> no, no, genuinely, like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, you know, in a, 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 like, I think so often in relationships that we are constantly, if you hear people talk about their partner, it's always like, you know, what they're not doing for them or what, you know, particular thing. It's always through the prism of what that other person is doing for you mm. or that annoying thing they're doing without kind of counterbalancing it. Like yeah. in, this day, in this day and age where everything on the news needs to have like an opposite opinion, I think in conversations about your partner, uh, they should be able to like, you know, you should be able to have somebody else there sort of do, giving that thing of going, well, I, I probably should put on the record that I also – and being a bit of a pain in the <laughs> yeah. ass about this, and here's what I bring to the table. But what, what do you bring to the? What is it? What's the good thing? What's I'm the pretty thing? solid. I'm a yeah. bit of a rock, I, and uh, and I'm there, and um, I uh, tell a good story. 
It tells a lot, a lot, of, a lot of anecdotes. <laughs> a lot of, you know, one in threes. All right. Um, that's not bad. Yeah, that's not yeah. a bad anecdote ratio. That, that's to right. Be yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to reassess that. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm that. I, I do. I and you know, and we we also ran a company with a third person, Nicole Minchin, for about five or six years, and um, so it's been. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. We worked together on Lowdown. She was the co-creator. She created it with me, and and uh, and it has been a great um, screenwriting influence and directing influence. And uh, that was difficult, but that period because um, I would never switch off. That's that's part of me. I'll, I'll if we're making something together, say you and I make something together. Well, I'm talking about it all the time, right? You know, and you guys and it, had to just back and off. And when that other person is then your partner, yeah, yeah, who you're going home, yeah, yeah, to, and they're like, you she know, banded in the bedroom. We weren't allowed to talk about the show in the bedroom. I mean, I feel like that seems like a good rule. Oh, it's a great rule. You've got to have some boundaries. <laughs> That's right. Because once you bring it into the bedroom, you're probably going to bring it into everything that happens in the bedroom. <laughs> and then you're like, That's right. What do you think about this angle? She's like, It's oh yeah, it's kind of good for me. I know. Like, oh, I mean, for the, <laughs> the right, shot, for the shot, <laughs> for the shot. I think it works. Think it'll... <laughs> Hang on, I've got some. Storyboards. That's right. Can you just move positions so you can look at these storyboards at the same time? Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was um, it was banned in the bedroom, and I and and she would just go. I just actually really want to get some sleep. Um, but uh, yeah. So she's she's been great for me, and I hope I've been I hope I've been good for her. And um, so we yeah. This is an interesting period for us because we've moved to LA and um and it's something that so many people have done including yourself and it but I'm it's no less nerve-wracking what are, what are your hopes dreams aspirations about being here what like I mean what's what, what have you come over kind of thinking this is what I would like to at least start with happening yeah I'd love to I would love to write over here I I for don't someone mind. else or for you like for yourself or uh, yeah I don't both? mind either. either I've got I've got a show a couple of shows I'm I'm taking out um and a couple of comedies that are just that are, you know I've just written for the, this market um to get one of those up would be amazing or something else up I'm also happy to work in writers rooms I'm actually looking for a bit of a creative renaissance I I actually just need to I need I'm someone who needs to be pushed and I think I think you know this is a chance for me to 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 be pushed and and people take writing seriously over over here and you know and you're paid for it properly whereas in Australia you literally only pay for two drafts if you can do that and screen plays need more than that you know they need I mean you could be up to 25 drafts, really. It, it, and, and you've got a lot of people in the room who are really... You, you, you have actual writers' rooms where you've got about eight to ten really smart, funny people pitching in ideas of your, for your episode. And that that's just utopia for a writer, you know. And you don't get that in Australia. I mean, Amanda and I, and for, for Lowdown, wrote everything ourselves. We had a, someone else come on briefly. Uh, and in, in Wilfred, Jason and I wrote it all ourselves. And they, they you know... That's without any input from anybody else. That is a that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard to get your your joke ratio solid. Um, it's really hard to do with just two people. Uh, so, 
It's interesting because that idea again of like external feedback comes up, you know, the idea of like either having collaborators or like people to bounce off or whatever it is, Um, which probably again, like comes back to this like thing you were saying about hard work, you know, the idea of like you realizing that perhaps, you know, you'll work better as a part of a team. It would be a lot of people, probably myself included, like to a certain extent, if I was like, you know, if one day I was like, go and make your like Louis show, I'm never going to make a Louis style show. But like (laughs) if if in whatever world, they were like, if Mark Maron hadn't come along, but my podcast was the biggest podcast in the world and someone was like, why don't you make a like a TV show that's kind of set around your real life and the podcast and whatever. I'd be like, okay. Um, I would probably write most of that, I reckon. Yep. With a couple of other people maybe that who'd, I really trusted. Who, you, who do you trust? Don't know. Yeah, Haven't yeah. thought of that even. Okay. But they'd have to be people – they'd probably be people that I'd be less reliant on for uh, – like people who were just good in the room to like toss around yeah. stories and stuff. Yeah. Like what are stories from my life or just that I could come in and talk to them about like, you know, here's what was happening that day, you know, and like I, what would come into, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could deal with the idea of like six, seven, eight people, you know, uh, putting in ideas, but it yeah, seems right. to me that you are like, well, that'd be great. Cause everyone's going to, you know, they'll make my thing better and I'll have all these mm. great ideas. So what is your process of taking feedback? Because we're in this world now where I think we've probably gone over a tipping point of like in the old days, I think as artists, we used to search for feedback all the time. Yep. Like, you know, if someone wrote you a letter or if there was like a thing in the paper, or if like you got a review, it was like the biggest thing in yeah. the world because somebody had actually like, you know, given official feedback to your thing. Can I just ask you with the glass house when that first started and you would have got text messages from people telling you how great it was on, on television. Right. And in, in the first days where you would have got messages of support, I mean, I guess so. And then, and then, of course, you're on television more and more. The text messages completely dry up. Completely. And I mean, no and, one. That's right. There is a very lonely period where you've just finished doing, going on someone's radio show, and then you get in the car and you're driving home, and no one has said a fucking thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. I mean, no one in my world gives a shit about any of my things That's anymore. It. Like, That's same with me. Same with me. Uh, Amanda and I do yeah. have recognised that, and we do support each other if they, if one of us is caught right the, the other on radio or something because it's a very lonely, a lonely period. Sorry, but, I I, but you no. But I was going to say now. I mean, really, if you want it, there's feedback everywhere. Oh yeah, I Everyone's mean, you know, artist. online everything, yeah. but whatever. Like there's like unasked for feedback <laughs> constantly coming in. You know, yes. and, and everyone's got an opinion. You know, when you. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about working, dad, my dad. The other thing about working in those collaborations is, you know, that you work in is that everybody has a different opinion, yeah. or, or everyone has an opinion. You yeah. know. So how do you filter that? How do you process that? How do you know mm. which stuff to take on board? How do you know when to then make your own decisions? You know, once you've taken in all the information, like how do you do that? Uh, the first thing I'm really good at, at, at sifting through. I know when an, when an idea is going to. Is resonates. It's just a gut feel straight away. There is, from as far as the say the network is concerned, the best person I've ever had notes from was a um, a woman called Amanda Duthie, who's now oh yeah I know um, in a, at the Adelaide Film Festival. She was fantastic in the early days of of Agony. Debbie Lee was fantastic too. She was just very just nursed you in the right direction. Um, what sort of things? Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a specific thing, but like, you Debbie know, was amazing. There was. Some, it's often good to know, like, you know, yeah. if there was, you know, that's this. She, she was just very gently say, "I just, I just don't think that seems very funny." <laughs> I 
Oh, punch to the guts. But yep, no worries. My point taken. My favourite one was Ted Ted Robinson when I was working on oh, yeah. uh, the Glass House with Ted, and uh, yeah, when we were filming something that wasn't you know like some sketch or something, and I thought we'd got it, and he'd be like, "One more just for me," and that would always mean. We haven't got it. <laughs> like it'd be dressed up in this idea of like that he just wants one more. We've yeah. got it, but we want one more. Oh, okay, but for what, Ted. But what yeah. really, yeah. what that really meant was you haven't got it yet. Give it another go. It's a, so. it's a good note that one more just for me. <laughs> um, no, but I do have an instinct straight away because I've got so many notes over the years. The, the, that's that's the that's the one thing I immediately sift through. I can I can sift through pages and just pick out the jewels. That's fine. But then there's the situation when you know. You have no power. Right. Then you have to make compromise. But you, you've got to you, – you have to make get the show into a certain shape that you can take on board their notes and still not let it affect the core part of the show. I do recall um, in the most recent Agony. Agony was on, deaths, on death row. And they brought it back for one last season, and and part of John Casamar's thing was to it was to make it serious, basically. And um, because he, he, I actually thought John would really, really when he came on board, I thought we're on our third commissioning edit, and it's really hard at the ABC to actually last three. It's really sorry, it's really hard to last two, but to actually last three, it's it's quite amazing, right? But I knew, but and I thought, great, John Casamar is a former journalist and everything, and I really like him. Um, he came on board and um, straight away didn't like the show. It was obvious he didn't like the show. And then I'd heard heard through back channeling that he didn't like the show. Uh-huh. And and then it became apparent that he just would have made a different show. You know, he would he wanted to deal with that those topics, but differently. Right. Um, and he ended up doing that, which is fine. But uh, I knew we were on death's door, and so I. I and I was trying to thought if we get really good ratings and it might it might kind of keep on going and I really wanted it to keep on going. That's when I knew I had to I had to kind of suck it up and just be a good little boy and and and, and implement the notes and uh, for better or worse. It's interesting, isn't it? Like that idea of somebody coming in who who can it can be somebody that you like or somebody you think has good taste or whatever Absolutely. it is. Absolutely, I really like John. Like, yeah. and, you know, and I, uh, Courtney Gibson, who was at the ABC, yeah. um, who I think is great as well, and I like Courtney and I don't hold this against her mm. in like, you know, now, but at the time I was pretty pissed off about it. Um, when, Gla- <laughs> when Glasshouse finished, you know, there was always this big contr- like speculation that the government had like, you know, asked for it to whatever, or oh, that's you know, right. all this sort of shit. Because, yeah. and the only reason for that speculation was, we were having the best rating series we'd ever had. You know, we were doing a million people in our last episode, which these days, like, oh, you make you the number one show on your fucking absolutely. network. Absolutely. So no, no one could quantum work out. You're getting hookers sent around you. Yeah. Sent right? your hotel room. Yeah. I, I mean, the show had moved around and it had never been that, like, but it had become successful. You know, yeah, it had grown yeah. into being successful and then got cancelled. And so people made up their conspiracies because they couldn't work it out. But the truth of it is, at least my understanding of what happened, although I've never heard the whole of it, but mm. my understanding is that Courtney Gibson just wanted to make a different type of show than we were making. She wanted to make, which a show that Ted ended up producing, which was a show called The Side Show, which was like more like the big gig. It was That's like right. a, but oh, it yeah, just, yeah, it didn't yeah. quite work. 
and no. it lasted a season. But yeah. I believe that's the reason that I reckon it's the reason too. That Gruen finished. I mean, sometimes yeah. when somebody you know has their own glasshouse. Yeah, sorry, uh, the glasshouse. Gruen is still going on, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Gruen goes on <laughs> despite right. any of us thinking that would ever fucking don't panic. Despite the name changes, despite yeah, yeah. everything, it still <laughs> keeps fucking going. Although we've only ever we've done. Uh, <clears throat> I'd, I'd say this year will be the last year of Gruen. Like, yeah, right. I mean, this will be our ninth year for Whoa. a show that no one ever thought would last that long. How many eps? Well, this is the thing. We made 216 episodes of Glasshouse. And we, we, if we finish this year, if we do 10 this year and we finish, I think that'll leave us on 98 episodes of Gruen. So Both for, of which, if they'd been made in America, would have gone into syndication and you got you would have I just been I would never have to work street. again. Absolutely. Wouldn't have to have my imaginary radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I could have a really fucking good imaginary radio show if I was like... Yeah. I mean, oh, essentially, that's what Jerry Seinfeld has, isn't it? Yeah. That's what comedians in car... Jerry Seinfeld just has what a rich person's podcast looks like. That's that's exactly <laughs> right, man. And how, if if it... You know, you see so many rich people living badly... Welcome to philosophy. We're in my jet. Yeah. <laughs> That's the great thing. Will interviews celebrities uh, or interesting people on his jet. On his jet. Uh, or their jet. Go to an imaginary place. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah that, that's interesting. I think that's the key. I did listen to it and you would have heard this, a, um, a, uh, a Marin podcast where he had the, – the most recent Marin podcast where he had um, Apatow on and both of them were complaining. One, I think Apatow couldn't get on Letterman and, and Marin couldn't get on Kimmel. And they were both going, yeah, I think it could be this and it could be that. And Apatow said, the thing is, you never really know. Right. You never find out the real reason why your show was acted. You never or know. Or why you're not, haven't been invited on some other show. Right. Or, you know, or you are invited and then at the last minute <laughs> dis- disinvited, which happened to me recently on, on his show. And, I, and here I am, I'm texting people going, what? It's fascinating to me. It's like finding, trying to find out why a girl doesn't like you. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I've, you never ta- know. I've talked about this before, but I'm happy to talk about it again because it's relevant to the topic yeah, we're yeah. talking about, which is for me, like I grew up, uh, as I'm sure you did as well, you know, like adoring the work of Working Dog, like yeah. everything that I did, you know, <laughs> like no. loving it. Like, you know, I mean, I still, I watched The Castle again the other night and it still stands yeah. up. And like, you know, the things they did, like Frontline and stuff like that were way ahead of where, like when everything became that, you know, yeah. like, and I think yeah. Utopia, like, which is on mm. Netflix over here called something Dreamland. else. Dreamland. I think Dreamland. Yeah. I, I, I really think that's a real return to form yeah. for them. Like, I feel like, you know, it's, I've really enjoyed that show. And so I'm a big fan of this. Yeah, same. <clears throat> Always have been and all the radio stuff and everything. Loved it all. Yeah. Very influential on me. And over the years, they've had shows like uh, the, what was the improv one? Uh, Thank uh, God Thank You're God Here. Thank God You're Here, yep. Uh, you know, like the, the, the weekly quiz. Have you been, have paying, you been paying attention? Yep. Um, and again, all shows that I liked. Yep. The panel, you know, like yeah. things that I oh, liked. Yeah. yeah. You know, things that I loved. And uh, they've ne- never asked me to do anything really? of theirs. Um, I run into them all the time and I feel like I get along really well with them all. So like I... I am surprised. My point is I don't... It's not like a big deal to me. Like, no, it's no, not no. like I'm sitting at home going... But it is a, like, it is a footnote. But, it, but it, for some reason... Yeah, yeah. That I will probably never know the answer. Hershey to will me. make sure you never right. fucking know, and yeah. it's like this closed yeah. shop. And it, it, it's it's a, but it's fine. It doesn't. It's not like a thing that bothers me. I, and no, and nor should it, because you, you. I mean, it's just it's just a sidebar. Oh, that's right. interesting. Yeah, 
And that's the same with me. I was actually that was who I was referring to, and I was invited. And have you been pay- paying attention at the last minute? Oh, I was right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was no, going, they probably they probably they heard they, that you knew me. Yeah, well, Whatever yeah, it is with me, about to do. It's about to do all the philosophy. <laughs> fuck him. Um, but I'm the same. I get on famously with all of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, I, when I say that's ridiculous, no, I, I get on. I don't know Tom, but I get on with Santo and Rob and Jane. And Hershey, yeah. And um, people have always asked me about, well, yeah, will I have them on the podcast? And I'm like, I'd like to, but at the same time, I'm, I don't yeah. want it to be, I don't want to invite them on something that they would they feel think- awkward to, to do or whatever. So, well, yeah, I, I feel I on mine, I, I invited Jane Kennedy on, and and I, I felt that um, it was because I was going to America. It didn't matter too. I, I, I didn't. I, I'm the same. I didn't want it to look like now. Come on, guys, um, return the favor. But yeah, I. Um, I, I, I was asked to, to um, come in and have a meeting with them about um, about uh, thank God you're here, and I didn't I it didn't go any further. But I, I do also think that they like someone who who is a little bit more bouncy in their performance style than I am. I the, the, they people who are, who land their jokes a little heavier than, than me. And I think that's important for what they're doing. It's commercial television. Yeah. Whereas I do step off the joke a little bit and go in a bit of a dry sensibility. Um, that may be just me trying to justify something, but and in actual fact, they just don't they don't rate me at all. Whatever. It'd be weird if they invited you on and then at the last moment, that, that's real. That was weird. That's that was... mean spirited. If they didn't like you, I'm sure they like they, you. They must like they me. Probably just got a better weird. offer. Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> and I was. <laughs> Mate, and there's a lot better offers, you know. I yeah. mean, it's how it works. It's, I mean, it, it, it is how it works. But I'm surprised. I'm, I'm not really surprised that I haven't been invited. But I am surprised that you haven't been invited. And it must be. I I know that they, I, Australia's a small place, and it's a lot of it's, we're we're fighting over scraps and. You're both big fish. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. By the way, it could well have been something that I did. Like, I'm not, like, suggesting, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, like, I'm, you know, that they might not be wrong. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they might be completely right in their judgment of that whatever it is that they judge me. Will yeah. yeah, yeah. It may be something that if they went, they were, they were like, oh, we don't like you because of this, I'd be like, oh, that's you know, right. that's fair enough. That's yeah, a pretty good, that's, <laughs> yeah, a, that's a pretty a really good, good reason, reason not to like me. Um, yeah, an open yeah. invitation to Working Dog. Explain why you don't have certain people on your yeah. shows. No, I'm not sure that I want to. <laughs> exactly. It's like one of those things where you're like, I don't really... <laughs> You don't want to tell you the, lift the bonnet. Yeah, I'm very happy. Like, I mean, I, we also understand that we live in a world, I think, particularly. I mean, it's hard to know. I've done this job for so long. But I was a journalist like you were a I journalist. Know. And Weekly the, Times? Uh, yes, no. that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was at the Financial Review in the Canberra Press Gallery before that. Really? Yes. How many years? Uh, I only did two years in the Canberra Press Gallery, and then I was at the Herald Weekly Times for just oh, a year, maybe. And then what, what year did you leave the Herald Weekly Times? Well, I, 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 wasn't I can't remember what year it was, but I can tell you exactly it was when they moved buildings. I, okay, I quit, I quit at the old building. Really? But because I had to give them two weeks' notice or whatever, it was literally during the uh, move. So I had to move to the new building. 
And then like like that was my like final bit of it. And the funny thing is that whenever I go into the Herald Sun or whatever during the comedy festival to get photos or whatever, the lovely old lady who works at the well, she's an older lady now, yeah. you know, all these years yeah, later, yeah. who works at the front door, who has been there. It's always remi- lady. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me that my photo's in the system and that, you know, blah blah blah. It's like oh, she's hilarious. great. They're, they're so, fantastic. Yeah, it's people. very nice. Like, yeah. So that's yeah, but that's when I was there. But um <clears throat> they're great people making such a fucking these days such a shitty publication i mean well it's, journalism in general like so yeah. let's have a chat about that because i think that's a nice topic actually you know what i'm just going to pause for a second because i ran out of drink and yeah, because yeah, we yeah. were drinking coffee yeah, i didn't yeah. get myself a water so let's no, no, go for have it, a pause and then uh, we'll come back and talk about journalism for a minute and we're back for them they never went away this <laughs> is the right. interesting thing you're like are you going to cut that out i'm like no i'd like to yeah but yeah. for them none of that like you know 20 minute conversation we just had about a range of things that we can't <laughs> talk about on the podcast they didn't get that they didn't That's get right. the secret sealed section <laughs> it's not that special guys don't feel don't feel like you missed out on too much just um two grumbly 40 something guys yeah, just uh, mum, mum, mumbling, mumbling about the entertainment <laughs> yeah, industry right. like a couple of mumblers. I want to talk to you about journalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how did you find yourself in journalism? How did that happen? Why did you go to journalism? What do you think about the state of journalism today? Um, my parents were journalists. No one from Brisbane Grammar in the late eighties or even before that went into the entertainment industry. There were. And this was interesting when Ron Cochran introduced me for the Foundation Day speech. Ron Cochran, the former Golden Gloves of Rockhampton, was the housemaster of the school. He said that I was the first. It was me, John Collins from Powderfinger, and Ian Hogue from Powderfinger, were the first creative people in the boarding house. Right. Before that, of course, there was the there was the go betweens and. Um, and James Faulkner from Hoodoo Gurus. Okay, that's a yeah. pretty good uh, musical pedigree, though. Fucking Max you... Howell, the, the headmaster, his name's been taken off the gym because he didn't call out a pedophile. He, um, he, Hoodoo Gurus offered to play at our school for free and he said no. Hoodoo Gurus? One yeah. of the greatest Australian bands yeah. of all time. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, so we've got a great musical pedigree, uh, but that wasn't in the boarding house. I, I, I first tried to smoke pot at a Hoodoo Gurus gig at <laughs> a- ANU. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, me and my friend Adam Harvey, who I'm dobbing him into this story, but I want to get him on this podcast one day. Adam Harvey, who is Peter Harvey's son. Oh, wow. So right. this was when I was at journalism yeah. school, uh, and Adam and I were in the same class uh, at university. It may have even been when I was working at the Financial Review, and... Uh, I um uh, we bought some pot off this dude at a new bar at a Hoodoo Gurus gig, but we didn't know like we'd never smoked pot before, so we like didn't know that like so it was big like you know buds of pot, and we're trying to roll them into like yeah you know, cigarette papers and like so I don't know if even if like I I I'm not sure that I could confidently say that I smoked pot for the first time that night, <laughs> but I attempted. To smoke pot. You handled it. It may have rolled out. Yeah, you know, I had rolling. a crack at it. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't through my want of trying <laughs> that uh, that we didn't smoke pot that night, but I don't think that we technically <laughs> – I don't think – if we'd been pulled over, I don't think there would have been much in the system, <laughs> put it that way. It was, what, what a great <laughs> show they put on, though. So it would have been around the same time I first saw them, I reckon. So it was early 90s? I reckon I saw them probably because I used to tour a lot, a lot through Canberra at that time, but mm. I saw them a couple of times in Melbourne as well. I probably saw them five or six times during that period and they were an amazing they I, I hadn't kind of picked up their albums until they put out that you know when they put out their big best of like mm. it was a two album sort of like you know yeah, best yeah. of and I got that 
and and like I was like, oh my god! And then you realize that pretty much every song that they'd ever released was on the best of because every song they'd ever released was really great. It's yeah, just true. It's, <laughs> like it's every true. album would have like four or five fucking hits on it. Yeah. it was crazy. Yeah, it was a great it, band. I mean, it blew my mind when I first saw them. It blew my tiny mind. Um, so he had this great musical pedigree, but there was no one who went into who went into show business from my school really. So. Um, it was uh, when I said I wanted to be an actor to my parents. It wasn't. It wasn't kind of celebrated in any way. And, right. Um, and uh, I mean, they said get something else under your belt. So I thought, oh well, they're journalists. I'll be a journalist. So I went to journalism school at USQ, and immediately after I finished that, I, I did uh, acting. Okay. At, at uni as well, and um, but of course there was no work for acting, so I went into journalism. Worked at the Courier. Worked at the Innisfail Advocate. Um, Innisfail Advocate was this uh, little paper in Innisfail and, and you know, would run racy kind of headlines. I remember the Innisfail got a hooker, got an escort, oh, okay. got a sex worker. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I, I imagine like, back in, comes to I, Innisfail. Yeah, I was going to say, imagine back in those days they yeah. wouldn't have been using sex worker. No, so that was the front page on the on the day I arrived. Well, you took photos of you took the photos and you wrote the stories. Um, then I went to the Sunday Mail in Brisbane, worked there for a while, and then I got a job at the Sunday Herald Sun, and I worked full time there for a year before I went freelance and became. I got an agent as an actor, so I was I was able to go freelance and, and continue my acting. And did you enjoy your time in journalism? Were you happy? Pre- uh, no, no. It was you. Uh, I worked fucking hard in journalism because you you had to write three stories a day, as I said, and um, it was an ugly business. Uh, you know, you'd have to if someone had disgraced themselves in some way, or you'd have to ring them up and. And uh, I met many great people, though. I interviewed so many great people. But Tell me this, because uh, that's something that I really didn't uh, ever have to experience. Like, I was at the Financial Review and the Press Gallery, and then I was at the Herald yeah, Weekly right. Times, mostly doing, like, you know, writing advertorial copy, really, to be honest, most of the time. It was, you know, you go out and interview some big, uh, you know, like, tractor, you know, company that yeah. was having some, you know, and they'd, they'd, have, they'd have these big lift-outs that would have these, like, sort of fake stories about, you know, tractors and yeah. stuff. So that was mostly what I was doing. So I never really, you know, kind of was in journalism long enough that I had to be... You had that you know, background of farming, right? So you knew that world a little I bit. I mean, enough. Yeah. I mean, okay. not really. Probably, Would have just blown. Not probably yeah. nowhere. I mean, the thing that I've always – you, if I have a strength, mm. it is my capacity for like sort of to get the gist of something. I always mm. say that my comprehension is probably best. I don't have a lot of – I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't speak in complete sentences. I don't have a great voice. I can't do accents. My memory isn't fantastic. <laughs> like, you know, I swear too much. I, like, you know, I drink too much. I, I comprehend things well. Like yeah, yeah. people always – Asked me about, um, uh, you know, Gruen. The big question is, oh, you, how, how did you get interested in advertising? Or, like, you know, what's your interest in that? People think that I know things. I get asked to speak all the time about advertising. I know nothing about advertising. I know advertising in the same way a journalist who had to write a story about advertising would know about advertising. Mm. I do my research on the topic and the thing, and I ask questions of both sides and I try to piece it together. But that's literally. That's journalism. That's journalism. 
And that's the approach, mm. you know, that, that was the thing, that was the bit of journalism that I was good at. Mm. The immediate comprehension of something when it was going on to go, okay, this is the story, this is the angle. I wasn't the best writer, I wasn't the most yeah. committed, I didn't have great sources, I wasn't good at cultivating any of that sort of thing, but I had a pretty good sense of going, this will be the story or this will be the, yeah. ang- the angle, I guess. Whereas me, I acted the role of a journalist. It was like... I. I used as an <laughs> really when I think back on it, I I pretended I was one of those guys, and um, and so you, I, I had some great experiences. I, I went to oh, Stuttgart. I, to sorry, I, I wanted to ask you about that idea of like calling someone who's oh. you know if something oh, bad yeah, has happened okay, or yeah. if something disgraced, oh, they've been terrible. disgraced or whatever. It's How do terrible. you? Yeah. So what? Like, what are you aiming to get in that moment? How do you go about it? Is there a technique, or did you like is it different? It. And every, yeah, tell me. Absolutely hated it. I, I I was not one of those guys. People like, ladies and gentlemen out there, there are people who love that shit. Get off on it. There, that's, they do. That's why they do it. That's right. And for me, because I'm um, brought up uh, C of E, good C of E boy, um, Protestant family. The whole idea of being a Protestant is you want to leave the world without making a fuss. Right. All right. And that's <laughs> so the idea of me knocking on someone's door has disgraced themselves yeah. or whose family member has right. died. Worst moment of their life. Yeah, that's How right. How do you feel? How do you feel? You know what? Yeah. I'll guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to guess <laughs> you felt terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. And you've got to do it. And they were wrapped, actually. Yeah. They hated the kid. So <laughs> real weight off their shoulders, they said. This story's they're, gone a different direction than you thought. They said um, they're going to take <laughs> take his university money and go on a world trip as what they really wanted instead of that accidental <laughs> kid. Finally, the kid's paid off. He's been a shit for 16 years, but the oh. insurance, we're moving to a new house. We're going to Disneyland with the kids we like. That's right. He said. <laughs> he said. Full point, new par. Um, yeah, I, so basically I did that for a year, where I, a couple of years where I had to kind of do those sorts of things, and then I kind of just faded away into show business and sport. Um, the thing about – and then – and then show business became a thing in itself. You, st- you stopped writing puff pieces and you had to write kind of, you know, there was a lot of scrutiny on those things too, you know. And so I, I, in answer to your question, I hated all that. I was asked to write a lot of things I didn't want to write about and there was a couple... In, in the old days, yeah. like with the showbiz stuff in particular, like, you know... There's a part of me that like thinks that we should leave journalism for things that should be journalismed. Yeah, yes. You know, like we should have very high standards for you know accounting for political journalism yeah. and like you know for news journalism and these sort of things. <laughs> but then the rest of the shit, like you know, this idea that you have to fucking like approach like in the old days, the people who just wrote puff pieces and stuff, they understood that mm. it was all fucking nonsense. Yeah, like that it was yeah. show business. Yeah, and yeah. you didn't need to treat it seriously because it was fucking nonsense, made up nonsense. <laughs> Run by nonsensical people, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, there's so there were three people who um, I, uh, I who I have great regrets and and having dealt with. Um, the the first one was a guy called James Hewison, who was the head of the Melbourne Film Festival, <laughs> and he. Um, you got to understand, I was making short films at the time and I, and I got paid 200 bucks an article. Uh-huh. And so 
there was a new broom at the Herald Sun. These two henchmen came in who were going to fucking shake things up. Yeah. You know, and they were, and one of them said, he threw the film festival program at me and he, <laughs> and he said, there's some shit in there. Rip out the, the worst the worst films because this is done by taxpayers' money. Yeah. This, is, this is, you know, funded by taxpayers' money. Rip out the worst funded, films. Funded you know. by taxpayers' money that it yeah. has since been revealed that uh, News Corp was not responsible for any of as yeah, they true, weren't yeah. paying any taxes in <laughs> Australia. So, yeah. you know, it's Fuck. good It's good that they have such a uh, high opinion of how to spend taxpayers' money seeing That's they're it. not contributing to it in any way. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, it's crazy. Um, and so... Uh, I wrote this article, so I ripped out three kind of the most, you might say, dodgiest films in the festival, right. like about sex and yeah. drugs or whatever. You know? Right. They do it with the uh, comedy festival every year. They do it every year. So yeah. it's, an old, it's an old trope. And, uh, and so I did the headline. And I also found out how, how much money they were spending on hotels for the filmmakers to come and stay. And, and I go, right. they're staying in the plush Grand Hyatt Hotel, 350 bucks a night on your money, you know. Right. And the headline was Festival of Filth. Yeah, and not doing not doing any sort of research into the fact that they probably got some corporate deal and they're not paying oh, $350 course. a night. Yeah, and like, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it was terrible. And um, Also, you know, it's not like you're going to invite all these people out here and put them up at a fucking Airbnb or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You stay at my place. <laughs> Uh, you got to film good on you, um, yeah. So uh, and you going and you going China Air or whatever. And um, so anyway, this guy called James Hewison, uh, um It was his first year of the festival. <laughs> the first article he was uh, about the festival of during his tenure was the Festival of Filth, and it was by me. Cut to many years later. I made a film, I wrote a film called Rats and Cats, which made the festival and everything. And he really liked it and he became a champion of the film. And I ended up becoming friends with him. And I have apologised so many times to this guy. Was he aware of it when you became friendly? Like, did he know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew. He knew and he'd forgiven me. And, um, and, uh, you know, and he understood the circumstances. He's a journalist himself. The other thing was, the other one was um, Mick, Mick Malloy. but he, someone else had written an article and he thought it was me and he still holds a grudge to this day. Oh. Um, I think that Joel Edgerton also thought that I had written something on him, um, which, I, which I hadn't. But probably the, the, the worst situation and it was you. And that was, uh, that was a, um, a situation which I've apologised to you for and I apologise again unreservedly. Back in... The late 90s, you'd gone out with Kate Fisher. Uh-huh. And um, I'd been pushing the Herald Sun to do stuff on the comedy festival and they just weren't fucking interested. So I'm just going to give you some context. This uh-huh. doesn't justify what I did at all. Um, and- By the way, I should point out, literally I should point out just to give you yeah. a sense of this story, that when you started to go like, uh, and the big one is you, like I in my head was like, I can't even remember what this story is yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is how little it, it, I care or it affects me yeah, in yeah, any cool. way. But I felt but, bad about it. Yeah, I no, felt bad good, about man. it for course, years yeah, cool. um, because it was – and so what, what had happened was um, uh, someone at the Daily Telegraph had written – a, a piece, and we got all their information, um, and it was said that you'd mentioned something about Kate Fisher in your show, which yeah. is wrong. It was it wrong. Was, it was it was wrong, and so I've been on about the, the editor about doing something at the comedy festival. Look, so many people go to the comedy festival. No, I don't want to fucking do anything about the comedy festival Saturday night because I was working for the Sunday Herald Sun. You got thirty centimeters that you can write on the comedy festival. Top ten acts. 
and I'd seen you, I'd seen your act and everything. I thought, well, I'll put Will Anderson in. But I knew I had to make it spicy and I saw this part in the, in the Daily Telegraph about you mentioning Kate Fisher in your show, and which was ended up being wrong. And I said, I wonder if he'll mention Kate Fisher in his show, you know, like he did in Sydney and, this is the, and quoted the article. And then I wrote about, you know, might have mentioned Hughesy and a few internationals. I sent it in. You never said anything, which is which is right. But I, but then you, when I rang you up to speak to you a couple of years later, um, <laughs> you rightly gave me a serve for saying I didn't say that in my show. I would never say anything like that in my show. And then you started paying me out about my photo byline. <laughs> Now that does sound like me. That's right. And I, I do not remember that, but that sounds exactly like the sort of thing I would do. <laughs> and, and then I've, I, I put all that stuff where you pay me out of a uh-huh. photo, but I put it in verbatim in the in the, in the story, uh-huh. which is a little bit of a, a, a dick act. And my wife Amanda said, "What are you four years old? Why are you why are you doing that?" And I went, "Oh no, well it's entertaining, and you know, I blah blah blah." Anyway, it. It made me look stupid, and I always regretted doing that. And I just want to publicly say I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for for doing that because you said at the time I'd never said that about would never say that about any of my ex girlfriends or whatever in, in my show. I actually it was someone asked me about it when you were doing a Q and A or something, right? And uh, so I felt bad about that. So it was James Hewison and I, you, and I, there was two things that I didn't do that I've been wrongly accused of. So, uh, firstly on that, like I literally don't even remember it now, but I will say that the things that I would get angry about, and I'm not surprised that I was angry about that, was uh, I've always had an opinion. I don't really talk a lot about my personal life on stage, and in and I'm certainly yeah, right. never... And radio? I mean, Amy gets mentioned on here. Yeah. Like, you know, because I feel like the podcast is, like, this is my world. I'm yeah. not in someone else's world. Yeah, yeah. Like no one's manipulating the way that she's mentioned or there's no sort of radio demand of like come in and tell us something that, you know, annoys you about, you know. With a punchline, a tag that sometimes you actually have to doctor to make it interesting. Right. Yeah, she, yeah. she comes up when she comes up in a very natural way. I, right. don't, I don't edit it, but I don't, you know, kind of insert her into the conversation and I don't feel any need to explain, you know, yeah. every time who she is or, you know, or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. sort of world. And we've never, like, you know, we're not, we don't go to the openings of things. We don't, mm. we've never traded off our relationship in any way. Um, and when we broke up one time, because we, we're one of those couples that have been on and off a bit over the years. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when we broke up for the first time, I was writing for the um, the Sunday Telegraph and Sunday Herald Sun at the time. That like column, in the magazine. The Sunday Life it column. was like, yeah. It was, yeah, right? yeah. And I had written this thing that was completely uh, not to do with my relationship. Um, it was about I'd gone I'd started to go to therapy now partly it was actually because I, I was going through a relationship breakup but um, uh, I was actually going through a really terrible time at work at the time and having a hard time balancing the fact that I was going through this relationship breakup but yeah, also yeah. having a terrible time at work so literally I kind of like because I knew why I was upset about the relationship I got that like you mm. know what I mean like I had broken up with the person that I was in love with like we were going yeah. through this terrible time I got that. But being the work thing almost had a more practical. I needed to address this issue to be able to get this job done. You know, yeah. while I was going through that, and so anyway, I wrote this thing about therapy for the for my column. Mm. Did not mention the relationship breakup. 
did not mention the work thing, just wrote like this little piece about the idea of going to therapy and what it was like to go to therapy and like, you know, you know, like kind of had quoted this kind of conversation I'd had with my, my therapist, you know, and they, in the paper that it ran in, so the paper that I worked for, like I never went in the office. So the or anything, column stood stood as you wrote it in the magazine, as, but they went up front up with front, a, new, a, a mixed mastered right version, page three, yeah, yeah. of the biggest selling Sunday newspaper in the country, yeah. like exclusive. <laughs> but it was as if written as if, oh, yeah. I had done an interview with them, like that I had exclusively spoken. Like if you were anyone but a person who knew what had gone on, it would have appeared to you that I sat down with Jonathan Moran and yeah. we did this fucking interview about my relationship breakup and they'd found one photo that yeah they could find of the two of us together and they printed that and they'd like and it was he we've spoken about it and he's told me about the circumstances around that and how it was he was That was kind his of, name, the journalist. Yeah, Jonathan Moran. He still yeah. does, he does uh, Sydney Confidential now okay. and he's like uh J-Mo and something else is okay. a collar. Like, they're, yeah, they're gossip. And, mm. like, he's a nice enough guy in the times that I've met him. And we've – I was shitty about that for years because, yeah. you know what, you can go after me. Like, because those – when they write something about me smoking pot or if they write something yeah, yeah. about some opinion I've had yeah. or whatever, they're all things that I've done. Yeah. So, yes, mate, some people might not like them, but I did them. Yeah. But when it's someone else – like someone oh, else who is also going through a really terrible and, time and in innocent, their life. An innocent has and not, innocent, not, has not sought this publicity in any way. No, ever. Yeah. Like, you know, has <laughs> not chosen this life and has not traded off it in any way. At the time when they're most vulnerable, they mm. get pulled into this thing. They get a fucking sideswipe, but also in an environment where it looks like I've sat down and like, you know, had this conver- like, you know, so there's layers of betrayal. Ugly business. Like it, it is really ugly. It, it, like it, it's one of those things where, like you know, when you see it, when you see how it's made, and I was one of their own at that time. So what like, happened? They, so you, so you, so you, you opened the paper, and that yeah. was the first you saw, or did yeah. you get a call from someone? No, so, open the paper. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! No one saw it coming. Oh, and so because they hadn't rung me for a quote because they'd just taken a man at my column. <laughs> the people I worked for, I mean, crazy, right? That is, that's unbelievable. Like, man. I mean, now, I mean, the way the media works now. And what like, was the reaction? So you, you you approached them afterwards and said, "What the fuck have you done?" And what was yeah. their reaction? I mean, I think really that was just the end of our. I mean, I'd been okay. there kind of five or six years at yeah, that yeah. point, and clearly, you know, <laughs> Nick Giannopoulos. <laughs> to come back to Nick. Nick, Nick will be wrapped. His, uh, <laughs> his, his Google alerts are going to be going crazy off this podcast. Oh, here we go, Nick. So I auditioned for um, I auditioned for his show, which was at the time was a Nick Nick's version doing uh, of Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know what? I read the script for that. Yep, and I thought it was like it had real potential. Uh, I did too. And and Nick, uh, basically, was following around Nick's life, and there'd be a window cleaner who he'd run into every day and that was the character I was auditioning for. <laughs> and and in the script notes, which was sent to everybody, he said the window cleaner is kind of like the Greek chorus, all right? And so when Nick's in the in the thing explaining it to me, uh, he goes, he goes, so this is what the window cleaner is and everything. And I said, yeah, kind of like the Greek chorus. Like the Greek chorus, he said, like the Greek chorus. And then after every person who had come in for the audition, he goes, Adam's wife said it right when he, he said it's about the Greek chorus. And everyone's going, oh, yeah, right. And everyone, it's in the fucking script, right, Nick? And all these people came up and saying, yeah. like, you know, Adam's wife now that when he repeated out loud to me what was <laughs> written out. Yeah, exactly. My own words. Um, 
but yeah, that that audition I remember well because he goes, yeah, I read your column because um, I had a column in the same yeah one of the same papers that you had. He goes, yeah, yeah, some of them are good, some of them are good. I tell you, who I really like Will Anderson. <laughs> Oh, nice. I'm now do your piece. That, now do your, now yeah. do your audition piece. Well, it's nice. <laughs> I'm glad, um, Nick. But yeah, back to back to what that that was just for people out there. That that was something uh, we'd often do. If someone said anything spicy or revealing in an interview. What they would then go, um, uh, d- give us twenty centimeters for up front, which meant you just picked their eyes. Um, out of whatever, so it was a, a column by a, a columnist in your case, or by or a, a few quotes by a celebrity that was in the magazine, and you'd run it up front out of context, and it pointed to the it pointed it gave the it gave the magazine some publicity, but in in, in it pissed everyone off because it was it was not representative of what was actually in the actual piece. Well, I think this is the diminishing return of the current day media strategy. Mm. And look, nobody knows what the answer is. I understand that, and this is from a guy who has a fucking free podcast. So you know, take yeah, yeah. <laughs> take uh, what I'm saying with a grain of salt, or as many grains of salt as you would like. But um, that your particular diet allows. But here is. I think that this clickbait culture, you know, here's what happened yeah. with newspapers, right? You know, it's gone online and nobody's known how, nobody's understood how to properly monetize online. And so at the moment, they're mostly doing it through advertising, which means that they want you to click on an article. So they've artificially inflated, you know, that they've turned everything up to 11 to try to get you to click on this link because yeah. that's how they're selling their ads at the moment. But after a while, we realize that not everything is you know, the most amazing thing that we'll ever see or something that will take our breath away. Or we realize that the headline about, you know, Hugh Grant just said blah, blah, blah. When you read the article, it turns out that Hugh Grant said nothing of the fucking sort. (laughs) And I feel like it actually kills, like, because after a while you just go, fuck it, I'm not even going to click because that's not even what the story is, you know. I know it's just going to be some fucking... You're not going to get me. Right. I'm, too, I'm too smart for your for your click, but not even that. I just think there's just that kind of after a while, like you know, you're like, well, you know, if you get offered one thing and you get like, you know, yeah, after you're a- totally desensitized and you just yeah, I right. mean, yeah, sorry. I mean, you can see as many McDonald's ads as you want, but yeah. you know, if you go to McDonald's a few times, you'll realize the burgers do not look like the ads, and no. you'll be like, fuck this shit, yeah, right, like that's and- it. So what do you think of journalism now and where do you think it's going and do you think that it has hope? What are your opinions around the world of journalism? Yeah, I think, I think it does have hope. I think, that, I think that there's going to be – I think there already is a reemergence of investigative journalism in other areas and, and I think that's, that's the most important thing. The niche stuff. Yeah, it is niche. And that w- people are willing to hopefully pay for quality journalism. Yeah. The has- idea that instead of competing on, you know, sort of race to the bottom, mass consumerism, that the values in – Giving something, uh, giving someone something good, yeah, and then people will pay for good content. Well, Maurice Schwartz is very interesting. He's a, he's a Melbourne developer who obviously um, who does the monthly and the Saturday paper, and essentially they're his hobbies. His hobby is right. to actually do quality journalism. I mean, so he makes a lot of money out of his developments, but all that you know, a certain amount of the profits, let's say, goes into into quality journalism. I mean. God, that's, I mean, that's one model in a very small marketplace, as you say, with only 23 million people. It, it, these kind of models will work better in America um, or Britain. 
So you are getting a little bit of you get a little bit of quality journalism uh, with the Saturday paper and the New Daily and and Crikey, um, but still, as you say, it's very niche and um, it's hard to do niche stuff in Australia and actually stay afloat. So uh, I, I'd say you'd look to the US and 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 Britain if you're actually going to look for anything uh, quality. But fortunately, there is some stuff, and you know. Salon and you know the New Yorker and things like that that does quality online journalism. What if you're an Australian kid though? Like you know you, you're mm. at, take you know you're back. You, it's journalism school, you know. Yeah, and you're what about do you do? to graduate. What what are your options? Because like as you said before about a lot of really good journalists and some still doing actually very great great journalism, mm. but at terrible places with terrible agendas now. Yeah. Like I mean, you're you told know, straight away when you go to the Herald Sun, you unlearn everything. You right. by, by those idealistic lefty soft lecturers at RMIT you know it's you've got to forget all that and and look I I I don't know the answer to the question I don't know if the, where we're going to find some good stuff I I've got faith that we will I and I don't know where you would go to actually exercise those things that you learned at university uh, we should finish up in a little bit, but uh, I want to ask you a couple little quick questions before uh, mm. we go. Just things that I always like to ask people on the podcast. Uh, firstly, death. Yeah. Um, do you think about it? Do you have an idea of what happens when you die? Is every it- day. Every day I think about it. Okay. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like in a practical way, do you mean? Like as in like – or is it – More about how, how, I'll, how, how I'll approach it. Okay. You know, how if I was – if I was told that it's about to happen, I, I think I'm, I'm, I think I've, I've gone past the panic of it now and gone. Okay, well, I'll probably be, hopefully, I'll be ready and you know I'll accept it with a, a, a an ease maybe that would be nice. Um, I think meditation helps with that. I don't do it meditation as as much as I should, but I think that just kind of. Takes I, thought, the yeah, panic I out honestly things. thought you were about to say. Uh, I think meditation helps with that. I mean, I don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but apparently it does. I have heard. Yeah, I yeah. read. I think an article that meditation That's... helps with that. So just some, <laughs> Which... just some random advice. I think just just not, if I could take the panic out of it, that'd yeah. be that'd be great. I don't know what happens after we die. No. Okay. Do you have any? Like, do you think about that? Do you have you changed your mind on that? I mean, you said you were raised Church of uh, yeah, Church of England, Church um... of England, and I was raised Church of England as well. So I know that that's. Yeah. That kind of Church of England is just your sort of like Clayton's. you know it's just a classic sort of straight ahead religion for people who need a religion. That's but right. Like, that's right. But not a really into religion. What is that joke about? Oh, you're a spiritual person. It just means that you basically can't be fuck going to church. Church. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're scared of death, but you can't be fuck going to church. Well, basically, C of E was the next step on that. Yeah, like, if you were talking yeah, yeah. about steps, it was like you know. So there was basically, I'm an atheist. There's yeah. someone who's spiritual. <laughs> there's Church of England, and then there's like proper started religious. by a guy called. Henry VIII, I mean, seriously, who, you know, had syphilis and fucking right. killed did it, wives. Did, yeah. Come on, let's, let's get some realism. The church started yeah. so that they could, uh, so a guy could basically have a new wife. Yeah. And uh, it was mostly about street stalls and selling like cakes <laughs> and slices as far as <laughs> I can right, remember. That's right, yeah. No, so look, I, I do, um, I don't want to shut off my imagination to, to anything and I don't, um, I, I'm, I probably have personal feelings, but it's nothing said. It's nothing organised, and it's you know, I, I live in I live in hope that maybe that, that you and I would get to see my mum again or something like that. I, but it, 
it, it doesn't seem likely for my tiny brain to, uh-huh. to work that, that out. But remember, our brains are, aren't able to actually encapsulate the, the enormous the enormousness of the, of the cosmos and, 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 and what could possibly happen. That's, that's, what I, that, that's what I would say. I would say it's probably unlikely, but, but uh, we're not the greatest people to, know, to, to work that out. Uh, we haven't got the greatest facilities to work that out. I like that answer. That's, a, that's, that's something I think is you know, in the zone of what I believe. Mm. Uh, so uh, finally, I don't normally ask this, but I, I was thinking about this the other day and I, I'd like to ask you this. Um, uh, is there something about you that you think that like uh, – I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, uh, so there was something that's a misconception about me, but it's a misconception that I have never over the years done anything to – address you know like sometimes you just let a misconception kind of you know go by because you just couldn't be bothered dealing with it and (laughs) i was like i wonder if like other people are like that do you think there's misconceptions about you that like you know like Mm. that you know that people think you are one way and you're like it's it's not even like it makes you angry or it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to annoy you or anything but just that sort of thing that like almost like for me what how i deal with it I guess is like I have this kind of amusement by it. What like are you? Someone, your, what are your? Uh, I mean, I think people think I'm a lot more trouble than I am. Do yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. like I think people like have this idea of like <laughs> fucking watch out. Yeah, like, you know. Whereas I'm like, I think people who know me find that hilarious because yeah. it's not really what I'm like. No, I, I I I get that about you. I think that people, yeah, you're a bit of a. Uh, um, it, there was this kind of wildness about your persona for many years. You and know, also, what well, the thing... An that, anarchist type persona. Yeah. And the thing that like I found, and I, when I talk about not correcting it, I've actually always found it quite helpful. Like, yeah. even though it's not true, like, even though I know it's not true, like, the idea that other people believe it is true, it's I've often found... pretty good found kind of a useful thing for yeah. me. So I've never really bothered, like, letting anyone know. No, of know course not. That, I mean... Like, it's not true, but... Brando, Brando <laughs> the thing that Brando said, which was, uh, which was really helpful, um, believe everything you read about yourself. Right. Just believe it. Yeah. Just go, oh, yeah, it All must right. be true then. <laughs> 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 Read the paper. Oh, that's the truth. Um, so, what do you think? The, the it thing is with for me you? is, when you're an actor, you learn very quickly how you're perceived. Yeah. Okay. And that is, uh, the, and for me, for many years, I was cast as the simple, maybe a little bit special, mate. <laughs> Special mate, we're looking for an Adam Zwa type. That's right. There, there were, you know, there. You can go. You've seen that ad. I actually posted yeah. that ad to you. I mean, that 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 encapsulates. It was an ad I did for HBA. I only played in Victorian Northern Territory. So, um, Google it. It's called Free for Free, and I've got buck teeth in the ad and everything. And I'm very simple. That is how I was betrayed right. all, all the time. And when I hit thirty years old, I thought I probably need to change this thing it was actually making me a little bit of money i was doing a lot of ads and stuff and but i don't think it's very becoming of someone in their 30s to kind of fucking (laughs) play that character well also if you you want to then like transition into more serious or like writing producing blah blah blah, they're like really buck tooth idiot yeah yeah. really he's got he's got a show show? yeah yeah um (laughs) so so there was there was that and this is something and i and i feel like uh saying this to you is um is like talking about cricket to Steve Waugh, but 
people after Will Fred and Lowdown, and uh, people would introduce me as a comedian, uh-huh. and I'd say. No, 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 no! I, you can't say that. I, I've never done stand up. I've, um, I, I'm not a comedian. I, I'm a screenwriter and, a, and an actor. I think is very offensive to a lot of comedians. And I've actually since spoken to Tony Martin about this, and he said the same thing. He said he actually felt compelled to go off and do stand up just to correct this massive wrong. You know that, and that, that for me, that's what. I actually started doing a little bit of stand-up uh, in 2013, and I've probably got up about 40 or 50 times in that in that in that time. Out of curiosity, not out of any massive ambition, perhaps as a writing skill, but mainly just so people could just so I, I, I knew what it was like, and that there was a little bit of authenticity if someone did introduce me as a comedian. I could say, oh, yeah, I'm not very good, but I have done a little bit. I, it's interesting that you say that. Like, I I can imagine, like, people, uh, like, you know, some comedians, like, you know, because it's not a, like, we don't have a, you know, comedian's position on this topic. Yeah, you know? okay. like, yeah, 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 right. I, um, <laughs> I personally, for me, comedian, I think, is all-encompassing. I think if you are a okay. person who works in the comedic arts, then you are a comedian, you know. Okay. I would say stand-up is a, like it's, yeah, I would, yeah. and that's like, and do I believe that there is an extra layer of at least that stand-ups believe, and so like, and most comics or comedians are like you know have come from stand-up. Not all these days though, like you mm. know, but a lot that stand-up is it's test match cricket. Yeah, I like agree. it doesn't matter how popular the other shit is, we mm. judge each other by. Can like, you get up? Are you good at stand-up? Yeah. Can you take this room? And yeah. on a night when you can, mm-hmm. you know, and you stand alongside, it doesn't matter whose movie opened yeah. the biggest or who has a TV series or whatever. It's like we're here. What can you do now in You've this room? You've been to Vietnam. And, yeah. You have – You. I think stand-ups are – they They are the kind of um, special op- ops of uh, – of Oh, yeah, yeah, you totally. Know, that's – <laughs> You know, they they are the people who have done, who you yeah. know, who have seen some shit. Yeah. And um, I do recall that that what what was the that that show that Gervais, Chris Rock, Seinfeld, and Louis C.K. did? They all sat around and they yeah, they spoke. I know the, I know the one you mean. And um, that and, one, there's my favorite moment from that is always that moment where because the thing is, Ricky Gervais is not like a no, no, and Chris Rock goes in and goes in and that yeah. And that bit where he has, because he has, as all people who haven't done stand-up for as long as the other rest of them have, he has a lot of firm ideas. I know. And, like, he's going in hard with those firm ideas. And that moment when Louis C.K. explains to him the funniest thing he's ever seen was that guy sitting on the jetty singing, sitting on a cock because I'm gay. That's it, yeah. And, like, and explaining why that's funny was, like, that's the difference between someone who's visiting stand-up and someone who's been there for 20 years and actually kind of knows like yeah. that it's a you, all those things you think about it when you start that's the most interesting thing about stand up i had so many more opinions about what what comedy is and what stand up is yeah. and what's good and bad and all those th- things when i started than i do now same with me with the tv and i mentioned that before at the start with with people who think they're going to take it on and everything and and some some of them do maybe for a small period but it is such an a a movable all encompassing beast uh stand-up or, or TV, that um, most of the the firm opinions you have will be torn down at some stage or right. another or be challenged at least. And, uh, yeah, I found that with 
I found that with comedy. I remember I've, you, the worst thing is to go back over some of the the interviews you've done and just look at look at this precocious shit saying what he's gonna do, what Australian comedy needs. Come on. I mean, <laughs> there's another part of me though that is like I actually find that stuff. I, I have a real mixture of it because sometimes that stuff really like you know when when new people come along now and have mm. those same things, yeah, yeah. you know, there can be that real temptation as an older person to like you know judge them and go like it's like every comedian is doing a routine about turning thirty, you know, and yeah, you're like, yeah, oh yeah. fuck, you're not old, shut up, don't yeah, be like an it. idiot, yeah. But at the same time, you're like, well, that's what I was doing and maybe that's the role of what you're meant to do. I think a lot of the time with comedy in particular, if you if you had a self-awareness of how shit you were at it when you started, you wouldn't keep doing oh, it. Oh, yeah. Or you like, knew I, how hard it was going to be. If you knew how hard it was going to be, if yeah. you knew that you would do it for fucking 20 years and know less about it than you knew at the <laughs> fucking start of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't fucking start. No. Why would you? But that turning 30 stuff, that, <laughs> that, that was great. I mean, that thing is turning 30 and, and – uh, but in, in journalism, everyone would write a first-person piece about – all the women would write a first-person piece about having their first baby without fail. Right. And all the men would write a first-person piece about having their first heart attack. They are, they yeah. are the tropes of journalism. Oh, some things that tick off. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like, I know that I'm getting out of baby-making range, but I'm still not, like, beyond having a couple for a new show. Yeah, that's right. Like, if I ever run out of observations about modern-day society, I can Sweet. still have Sweet. kids. No, We've got, we got some work to do. I've, I've actually... I've, and the, I've still got my terminal the, disease to come, right. so that'll be a good show, whatever I get. The cupboard's dry. Uh, the cupboard's bare. Um, At the moment, yeah, but yeah. stick around. <laughs> I'll get something soon that I can talk about. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I'm with you, mate. Though. I know less. I, like, I know okay. less now. We should stop. Um, uh, a, because I've got to leave the country, and B, you've been very generous with your time, and I appreciate it. Uh, what do people know, need to know about you, mate? When, uh, yeah, where can they watch stuff? Where can they find you? What, you know? Um, so I've got the podcast, which is 10 Questions with Adam Zwar, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, at the moment, I'm, um, I'm about to do Top of the Lake, which is a TV show in, um, in Australia. And, yeah, so uh, I'm heading back there in a few weeks. Top of the Lake, do they shoot that in Australia? I thought it was in New Zealand. Yeah, the second season's in Australia. Oh. In Bondi. Is it the top of a different lake? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's uh, <laughs> – we'll, we'll, we shall find out. <laughs> top of the Lake, Down Under. Down, is it down like one under. of those Chris, yeah, crossover yeah. shows like Quigley Down Under or whatever? <laughs> Quickly down under. It doesn't get talked about enough. Are you being served down under? That's right. Uh, I have a tour. It's on sale. Uh, Fire at Will, it's called. I, um, I, I, I don't know where I'll be by now. Adelaide or Brisbane, probably. So there's Melbourne. There's the Sydney Opera House on April the 7th. Uh, there's Perth. So you come and see it. Uh, April 21 at Meltdown here in LA. It's on there as well. But you can find out all the dates on my website and all those sort of things. Uh, Adam, it has been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>
Before